Hey there, guys and gals, and welcome to another exciting and, damn it, you guessed it, jam-packed episode of Modern Day Philosophers. I'm your host, Daniel Lobel, and I've got a great show for you today. You may be saying, that audio doesn't sound uh, quite up to snuff, and that's because I'm doing the intro and outro on my cell phone once again. And don't worry, the actual episode will sound a lot better. So, put your worries to rest. Put your worries to rest. All right, everybody, it's a great show. I am going to sit down and talk to one of the not only leading, but only Hasidic comedians in the world. I'm talking to the one and only Mendy Pellin, who is a viral internet sensation and a Hasidic Jew of the Chabad movement. What a great pick! For the high holiday seasons for Jews, huh? And for anybody else, what a great pick in general. You may notice that I'm uh, always inclined to bring up the high holidays or any Jewish holidays, and that's because I feel like if I don't, who will? You know? What podcast is really wishing everybody uh, a great Yom Kippur? I know it's already passed. I hope you had a great Yom Kippur if you observe it and you had a nice, meaningful fast or a happy Sukkot. Who's saying that if not me? So I got to say it, and I'm happy to say it. I'm proud to say it, and I'm proud to present this wonderful talk. I did a whole bunch of months back with the wonderful Mendy Pellin, and I've been waiting with anticipation and eager excitement to share it with you, and now you get it right in time for Sukkot. How about that? Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, except, of course, for the intro song, my talk with the hilarious Mr. Mendy Pellin. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Modern Day Philosophers. Modern Day Philosophers. Having failed to pay attention in school, Danny Lobel, now older and wiser, will attempt to learn basic philosophy 101. Our young hero will be joined by today's top comedians, philosophers all their own. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Danny Lobel. Hey, I'm sitting here with Mendy Pellin, a good friend of mine and a very funny comedian uh, who I've worked with. And the only show that I've ever been heckled by a Holocaust survivor. <laughs> that's a level. Yeah, that is a level that that is a. It has that's a distinction that no no other show can even come close to. Yeah, most comedians can't uh, have that badge. And and how do you even respond? I look at the guy. I'm like, this guy went through the Holocaust. What am I going to say to him? Yeah, you know, well, like- I I actually I thought it was pretty cruel of him yeah. because he knows you can't respond to him. He mu- that's like the only thing you have as a Holocaust survivor, though, right? Like you have to be like. There has to be something good out of it where it's like, you know what? I could, I could get away with heckling. Yeah, and, and he was heckling you because of your weight. Yeah. He was making weight issues. Well, and I, I felt like, well, what did you weigh in Auschwitz? I thought that too. Yeah. But, like, you but you can't say that. You can't say that. You're going to take shot. I'm sorry I didn't have the, the Hitler diet. I wasn't on the Hitler diet. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Ooh. Uh, uh, one bread uh, a day, maybe. Yeah. If you're lucky. Yeah, you don't get to you don't get to take credit for being in good shape after being through the Holocaust. Yeah. I've been through the opposite of the Holocaust, which is the fattening up of Americans. You're you're uh, you represent in- reparation, I think. <laughs> <laughs> 
I really feel like uh, a, you know a victim of the American food system. But you have lost uh, weight lately. A little bit, yeah. yeah I've I, I cut bread out. Nice. But um, I brought cake in. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you, you close the door, you open a window. <laughs> yeah. So I'm really excited to have you on the show, not just because you're my friend and not just because you're funny, but because you have a very interesting uh, story for a comedian. You are a Hasidic yeah. and a comedian. Mm. How many are there? Not many. There's just a few of us. I, I, you're the only one I know. Right. So there are a few Hasidic comedians. Well, there's uh, mainly the other Hasidic comedians are mainly uh, perform in front of Yiddish crowds for like uh, uh, Yiddish speaking audiences. Thought, and stuff isn't like that. Yiddish theater something that went out in like 1930? Yeah, uh, uh, Yiddish theater is very different. <laughs> this is uh, that's a Yiddish theater was a very secular thing. This is uh, you know. What was the Yiddish theater? Do you know much about it? Not much. Not much. I did work with someone that's trying to bring the Yiddish theater back in New oh, York. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Bringing Yiddish back. Sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> Not very lucrative. You know, you know that language that almost nobody speaks and the people who do speak it aren't that into theater? Yeah. Yeah, let's bring it back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the, uh, the crowds that they perform in front of are mainly like Williamsburg, Borough Park, Monroe, and Bro Brooklyn, New York. They... English, uh, Yiddish is the first language for the kids. Mm -hmm. And um, are you fluent in Yiddish? I I could understand. Uh, I should know Yiddish because we learned it in school. But I was not very active in, in schooling, and I have this mental block when it comes to to languages. Where did you go to school? I went to Lubavitch Yeshiva. It was called in Brooklyn. In what part of Brooklyn? In uh, Flapwish. Okay. Near, near uh, we took a bus every day uh, from Crown Heights. We lived in Crown Heights. In Crown Heights, if people, I, I imagine my audience doesn't know very much about, and I, I, I imagine a whole bunch of them don't even know what I mean when I say you're Hasidic. Can we fill people in on what is, what is a Hasidic Jew? Uh, Hasidic is basically, uh, Hasidim is, Hasidism is a teaching that is based on Kabbalah. Kabbalah a lot of people heard of because Madonna. Yeah. And Ashton Kutcher. This is all an offshoot of Madonna. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's basically uh, it's it's sort of like a practical application for of Kabbalah to elevate uh, everything mundane you do in your life. So that's the basis of living as a Hasid. For example. For example, um, uh, the. Uh, the Hasidic teaching tells us to elevate anything that um, that has uh, sparks in it. So, for example, a podcast could be used, it has sparks in it, but it could be used for evil purposes, or it can be used for great purposes, like what you're doing, make, make people happy, make people think. Mm -hmm. um, so whatever comes, uh, whatever hits you in life, it, you know, you should look for the way to elevate it. That's a, a basis in the teaching. So the sparks are not necessarily electrical sparks. We're talking about spiritual Spiritual sparks, sparks yes. Yeah. Yes, because everything is godly. Everything is, is ultimately god, like in the Matrix when he finally sees the coding. Mm -hmm. So that's what the ultimate, like if, if you were to master the Kabbalah, they say you can walk through a wall because you become... 
one with your source. Wow. We're all made out of the same thing. And then there's no need for doors. And then there's no need for doors. What a great way to yeah. save money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've saved a ton by learning Kabbalah. Kabbalah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, there's different sects. Why do they, uh, you know, they dress in different ways. And that is just a tradition to kind of um, keep uh, from assimilation. So the rabbis built that in. Uh, if you dressed a certain way in Hungary or Russia or this shtetl or that shtetl, when you came in, mm-hmm. continue doing that. That's what they said. Just continue dressing like that so that we maintain our heritage. So uh, there was a certain point where everybody was dressed like Hasidim yeah. in society. Mm-hmm. That must have been pretty interesting. And then and then the Hasidim just kind of froze. They froze the style. Yeah. They're like, no, nah, this is it. Yeah. We, we like this look. Yeah. <laughs> We're going with black and white. That's that's our color. They went. They, they saw, some Hasid went to get his palette done one day. It's such a rejection of the fashion industry. Like, oh, you got the hot new look. I like it. I like it. What what what's next? This? Forget it. We're stopping with this. <laughs> uh, it does make it, it it easier in the morning when you open up your closet and you don't stand here for an hour. Which black and white am I going to wear? Yeah. You know, what's interesting is um, I went to a part of Israel, which is very, very religious for, for a weekend, uh, called B'nai Brak. And I had a meal with a Hasidic family. And I was looking at them, and I, I th- they were a different kind of Hasidic sect than you're from, which we'll get into in a second, what the different sects are. But they're all dressed in a way that I thought was kind of funny and almost like vampires, with stockings and this and that and and I was thinking about it, and I was like, God, I feel bad because they don't have the choice of what to wear. And I thought, nobody really has the choice of what to wear, though. Everybody is sort of told what to wear by society. So whatever society you're in, they're going to tell you what to wear. Yeah. So everybody who thinks, oh, I'm so fashionable, you're just a product of your society telling you that this is what's fashionable. Yes. So if you live within a society that says this is fashionable, the stockings of this and that, then you're no worse off than anybody who who says this T-shirt and these jeans are fashionable. It doesn't matter. You're just fitting into your society. So it's no more alienating. It goes both ways. Like, you know, I think people feel, oh, Hasidim must feel so alienated being dressed like that in our society. But we would feel so alienated being dressed the way we are in a Hasidic society. Yeah. Look at a ball game. You know, like uh, fans of the Dodgers you know, they feel like they're part of uh, something bigger when they all dress with the, the same, same jersey or hat. Yeah. And, and uh, the minions, too. And the, <laughs> yeah, the minions. The, so the, um, you know, it just, it, it's a, it kind of makes, makes you feel like you're part of something bigger. Yeah. You know. You could all get together and form one super rabbi. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like when, I'm on, when I'm on the airplane and I see, uh, you know, a fellow Hasid. We give each other like the nod, like yeah. like I got your back. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I got your back. I'm not I'm not quite sure what it means. Like I got your back exactly. I think it it just means that like if you forgot to pack a sandwich, my mother packed seven of them. You know, <laughs> so your co- kosher sandwiches are taken care of. So I do want to backtrack to what I was saying about the different sects of Hasidim. 
there was only one, right? It's all based on one rabbi's teachings. Yeah, the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov. And he lived when? Which Baal Shem Tov means the master of the good name. He mastered the he good mastered name. The good, good name, name is God? Uh, he, he's the master of the of good God's name. Of God's work? Yeah, yeah. He mastered God's work. Yeah. Okay, so he's the, the sensei of Hasidic teachings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and there was only one kind of Hasid, right? Yeah. And then there was a split. And then basically he had different students. And then those students became their own rabbis, and obviously they had to have their own opinions and interpretations of the teachings. And, and also, I mean, just in terms of there was a lack of communication between different villages back then. So one village would dress one way, or when one village had a doubt how to interpret one thing or another, they stuck to that interpretation. Another village stuck to another interpretation. And the, and the Baal Shem Tov was not around to ask. Yeah. This is after his time. After his time. So then, then they all said, oh, I think this is what he meant, or I think this is what he meant. And then they stuck with that. Yeah. And that's how we wind up with different sects of Hasidim that we have today. Yes. And how many sects are there? Oh, there are. A, these days, there's a lot, because there's offshoots of the offshoots <laughs> these of days, the offshoots. Like, the, uh, right now, we're in the... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's beyond count. Really? Yeah. So are there are there like major ones? Yeah, that- no, there are major ones. There are major ones like Chabad, uh, which I, I'm a part of. You're a part of Chabad, which Chabad. is Lubavitch. Yeah. The, the two words for the same thing. Yeah, Lubavitch is the, the town in Russia where that was our headquarters back uh-huh. in the day before we moved to America. So it would be called like basically Los Angeles. Yeah. Lubavitch could mean Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like okay. I'm a part of Los Angeles. I'm less a- part of like Los right Angeles. Now, I, I visited Lubavitch. You did? I did. Yeah. In Russia. And um, what was that like? And it was interesting because there are no Jews that live there. Uh-huh. So you, you say, hey, are you a Lubavitcher? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> like there's a whole bunch of Gentile Lubavitchers over there. <laughs> They're called Lubavitchers. But here a Lubavitcher is synonymous with a Chabad yeah, Chassid. Yeah, exactly. And what does Chabad mean? Ch- Chabad is an acronym for Chachma, Bina, and Das. Which Wisdom, mean? knowledge, and understanding, which is the, the foundation for the learning, the teachings of the Kabbalistic interpretation of Chabad. So wisdom and knowledge mm-hmm. are, are different in, the, in that you can have information, but you might not know how to apply it, mm-hmm. and that's wisdom. Mm-hmm. But isn't that also understanding? In a sense, um, I'm not holding the third part yet. I'm still young. <laughs> You're only at wisdom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what's it? Why? It seems like it's almost redundant to say wisdom, knowledge, understanding. You could just say knowledge well, well, understanding could, well i mean you could have you could have a lot of knowledge but do you really understand the knowledge right that's that what i'm have. saying you yeah. can say knowledge and understanding that equals wisdom i see well not necessarily wisdom comes with time so you can understand the knowledge yeah but but what's the missing wisdom, thing I th- that comes i think with wisdom time, is right? more like living the understanding know. you know there's there's understanding and then when it becomes a part of you that's wisdom that's what I think, based on my interpretation. <laughs> so wisdom and wizarddom are probably pretty similar. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> Living as a wizard, a yeah. wise wizard. Yes. Um, okay, so so you went to, to Lubavitch, Russia, which is 
So we only got through like how many sects of Hasidim did we talk so the, about? So there's big about? ones are like Satmer, which is uh, that's the Williamsburg one. Yeah, yeah, there or Mon- and Monroe. Well, they have they had a they have a big split now. They have a big riff between the two sons uh, of the Grand Rabbi that passed away. Um, Grand they, Rabbi is like the opposite of a Grand Wizard. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> so this the, he passed away, and then then the and then you know. Uh, large portion of the followers decided that they're going to go for one son. The other portion said they're going to go for the other son. So, you know, and they, and they've been like fist fights and battles. Really? And yeah. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't seem been, like it would have been riffs. They've been the riffs. teachings of the Baal Shem Tov. Oh no, that's the opposite of it. You see, so. there's a lot of people, you know, we're human. A lot of people, they get caught up in the, the sprinkles and the icing in life. And they forget about the the the, the ice cream's melting, you know. It's it's the they forget about the basics, and and that that applies to Hasidim as well. And and therefore, like uh, that's why you see these riffs, you know. You know, I think when when religious people uh, act out, people get angrier because they expect yes. the religious people like they're like you're religious and you're still having problems. Like I thought at least if I would become religious. I wouldn't be doing that. But if you're religious and you're still acting out like that, then there's no hope for any of us. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other day, by the way, I was I was driving my minivan, which is our, our standard vehicle, the Hasidic standard vehicle. And um, I almost hit a skateboarder. And the guy, like, jumped up and he, and he looks at me. He's like, what's wrong with you people? And I was like, I stopped for a second. I was like, what does he mean by you people? You know? Mini dr- Van drivers? I, it's, yeah, it's, it's a mini <laughs> mini van driver community. Is it the, um, you know, we're both uh, Caucasians. So, you know, he's probably talking about something that uh, divides us. Is it the bearded community? And then I realized it's the comedian community. He just bashed the entire, <laughs> what's wrong with you? You guys, you think you're funny? Yeah. With that whole comedians in cars drinking coffee shtick. You know, it's interesting. Do you watch that show? Yeah. Did you see the one with Jerry Seinfeld and Jon Stewart? Yeah. Did you see that moment where Hasidic Jews walked past them and they said, oh, there goes the Jews? Yeah, 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 yeah. Wasn't that a weird moment yeah, that for was, you that as was, a Jew? Yes, yes. Because... Like I look at Jerry Seinfeld and John Stewart as like, hey, we're we're from the same team, mm-hmm. but then, you know, like they were looking at them as like, oh, there's them and there's us. Yeah, and I if was they're like, the Jews, then what are you guys? Yeah, we're on the same team. You know, we might look different, but you know. All right. So going back, yeah. uh, we have um, the Lubavitch Hasidim. We have the Sotmar Hasidim, which have now split. You said into the two sons. Yeah. Do they have different names now? Like there, there's like the Aronis and the oh man, and the other one. Aron is Aron's the name of one son. So okay. there's the Aronis, oh, the and there's the other. I forgot the the other ones, and 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 they also call them like by the street that they that they have their uh, shul, their synagogue. So ones on, on like forty. Seventh and ones on like fifty second. So like, uh-huh. are you a forty seven or a fifty two? Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's hysterical. Yeah. Were you a comic book fan? Uh, somewhat. Do you remember when Superman died when we were kids? No. Doomsday killed Superman. Then he came back. He's they his, his essence was split into four. 
and he became four supermen. And it reminds me of that. Yeah, we the splitting of a of a of a Hasidic. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much it. It's like now only one fourth of the power super powerfulness, but it's still Superman power. Yeah, yeah, that's. I mean, the comic book that I was into when I was a kid was Mendy and the Golem. Yeah, yeah, named after you. Yeah, named after me. It was it was really an awesome comic book. I don't know what ever happened to it. Oh, okay, I want to yeah. get more into your childhood, but first, yeah, okay. Let's go through Hasidim. the other the okay. other big uh, the big ones. There's the big brand Hasidim. Uh, there's Bells. I've heard of Bells. Right. Uh, what what are they known for? Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> there's, there's, bells. there's bells and whistles. Hasidim. Yeah, exactly. There's bells and whistles, <laughs> and then there's uh, Bubov. Uh huh. There's they they obviously a lot of these didn't go to a uh, marketing uh, firm before they came up with their names. Bubba's like Bubba's shrimp. Uh, but yeah, Bubov with a V. Okay. Uh, there is Breslov. Uh huh. That's the that's the most um salacious. And that the, yeah. Uh, then within Breslov, there's two groups. One, I, I used to think they were called the the breast lover. Breast that's lover. Yeah. They the just ones, love breasts. They love breasts. <laughs> <laughs> Like I, I, it, it applies to everything, even at at, at a at a meal. You yeah. offer them a piece of chicken, they they always ask for the breast. It makes life simple. <laughs> what are, what are you going to order? I'll take the breast. <laughs> the breast lover Hasidim. Breast lover Hasidim. <laughs> yeah, you see, they came up with a good name. That is that also a name of a city? Breast I think love? so. Sounds like it would be in like a Russian or Ukrainian. Right. Breast lover. The breast lovers. Yeah. There's um. <laughs> The, the Breslov have a thing that their their rabbi, Rabbi Nachman, said that whoever visits and prays by his grave by high holidays, they will get grabbed by their sideburns and pulled out of hell into heaven. So, and that's in Uman, Ukraine. Mm-hmm. So you have this mass... Uh, um, Pilgrimage. Pilgrimage. That's the word I was looking for. That that just take over the entire town. Thou- tens of thousands of people. Um, and they... In Uman, in Ukraine. Uman, Ukraine. Where there are there... Is there still a Jewish population in Uman, no. Ukraine? No. So basically this, this, this non-Jewish uh, Ukrainian city is swarmed with Jews. Yeah. On the high holidays. Yes. Now, do you have to... Pray there every year on the high holidays to get pulled out of hell, or is once enough? Once, once is enough. Once is but enough. But just in case, I think people do do it every year. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can never be too safe. Depends how many sins you seems get. Seems like you know? such an uncomfortable way to be pulled out of hell. But yeah, excited, I don't know why. Ah! <laughs> I th- I think it's his way of saying wink, wink. You better have sideburns. You know what I'm saying? Like he he threw that in there because yeah, that is a, a requirement in Judaism. To well, have sideburns for men. Yeah. Well, well, they they had a, a tradition to grow them really long. The requirement is to have it up to the bone, according to the the That's word. what I was taught. Yeah, yeah. up to the, to the bone on the side of the ear. But just as a look, the um, some Hasidic sects decided, hey, let's just, let's let it go. Yeah. And they let it just grow out. And that's why why you see, and they're called payas. Yeah. And that's now, why you see, yeah. So then, then there's there's uh, like Breslov. A lot of Breslov keep it straight. The sideburns. Uh-huh. Sotmer rolls it, curls it. Uh-huh. Um, like there's different looks. And then there's like Litfish that 
uh, puts it behind the ears, and then that like <laughs> I swing it behind the ear. Uh, right bells there. usually they like roll it roll it around the ears a few times, and then there's some that that like tuck it into the almaca on top. So Are there you don't any people see. that put like styling gel and, and pull them yeah, out on yeah. either side. There's some people like so it looks you know, like, like an arrow going through their they're, head. They're <laughs> That's what I would do if I it's had called those. the Steve Martin Hasidim. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. There's a lot of Hasidim with a lot of personality. And I think that um, it brings out more personality, the, the sideburns, you know? Uh-huh. You could do like a headbang type of thing back and forth. I'm looking at your sideburns now as yeah. we're talking. You, you don't seem to have... Right. The Chabad sect, uh, we just went with the letter of the law up to the, uh, the bone. Mm-hmm. So, so when you see uh, Hasidim with long um, payas or sideburns, mm-hmm. they're not Chabad. Right. Although if they were a different sect and they decided to join our sect. Does that happen? It does happen. The grand rabbi always encouraged them to keep their same look. So, from the so previous you can know sect. that they're not OGs. I think so. I don't know what the reason is. I don't know what the reason is. But uh, <laughs> that could be. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the major ones. I, I, did you, you think I think, you, I think we covered the major Hasidim. Okay. I, ho- I hope. That, well, the good news is that no, you know, like anyone I missed out won't be listening to this podcast. So they won't, <laughs> they won't be offended. So that's something interesting. All the people that you grew up with, do they uh, track your career at all? Is it, did you kind of like move away from everybody with what you do? No, no, the, the, well, there's, uh, the good thing about, um, Chabad is, is that it's very into going out into the world and, and trying to make the world a better place and, and really throwing ourselves into worldly matters while most of the other sects, their outlook is, is the bubble outlook. Is the in-look. Yeah, is the in-look, exactly. (laughs) To, to, to kind of, to shelter everyone speak Yiddish as the first language so the kids don't even understand English for the first bunch of years. And, and is that how you were raised also or not? No, no, I was okay. raised in Chabad. Right, which, right, because yeah, English, you, you said you learned Yiddish, yeah, but although, you didn't take to it. Although I did, didn't start learning English until, uh, I mean, not the language, but the like ABCs and stuff until I was in fourth grade. Wow, yeah. really? Yeah, <laughs> because there were a, a few parents in my school that were under the impression that the grand rabbi told once told someone that their kid shouldn't start taking English until the fourth grade. So, you know, I've always talked about language on this podcast as being the ultimate conquest, because when countries would take over their countries, uh, even after they lost their empires and the countries would be returned or uh, get freedom, they would still keep the language of the of the country that took them over. Which is why, like, America still speaks English of England. Right. So they still have their branding on us. Mm-hmm. So language is kind of branding. Like, yeah. you've, you've been branded by, so, so I could see that being an interesting thing, like not wanting to be branded by another uh, society's branding. Right, at, at least for the initial part of life. Yeah. So, you know, I, I guess there is some logic to that. Uh, but the, as a result... You know, I, that's probably why I'm a very, very slow reader. Uh-huh. I get I get scripts for for movies or TV shows like that they want me to star in, and I I just put put it off 
I'm like, I'll wait for the movie to come out. <laughs> <laughs> Watch it. Because it just takes me so long and it, it just takes, it's hard to, yeah. to read it. Yeah, there was one movie that I was in that I, um, I didn't read it. Uh, no, I was, I was supposed to audition for it. And the day before the audition, they really wanted me in the starring role. They they call me like a few times. They're like, so you read it over? And I'm like, the concept is amazing. It's really great concept. It was a cool concept, really cool concept. And uh, but of course, I didn't read it. And and then they uh, they said, you sure you read it? You sure you read it? And yeah. I I got the like red flags there, so yeah. I started skimming through it, and there was like full frontal nudity and stuff like that, which I'm not that <laughs> comfortable in. So, so then, I, then I was like, yeah, I don't know if this is my... Uh, so when I said Reddit, what I meant... Yeah, yeah. I went on the website, the Reddit website, <laughs> yeah. and I upvoted it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so do you run into that problem a lot based on your upbringing and, and kind of get going into the world of comedy, which is... So, I mean, I run into it sometimes, and I'm not. I didn't come from nearly the same background, so so how is how has it clashed, and what's your experience with that, Ben? Yeah, no, it, de- it definitely clashes because I I haven't read a lot of books, so people will say, "Oh, that's like the uh, mm-hmm. the Stephen King uh, thing," and then give a give a line, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, references, references." Yeah. So I I I miss I definitely miss a lot of references. And it it kind of makes me out of my comfort zone, like when I go to the improv or something, because, you know, I don't feel like I'm up to date on all the information that everyone in the crowd knows. Does like, that bother you? Yeah, it does. It makes me it, it makes me very nervous. You know, I'm I'm very I get very comfortable in front of a Hasidic audience mm-hmm. or, or even a Jewish audience. Yeah, you know, but uh, when it's just a regular secular audience, I. Uh, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm, you know. I experienced a lot of that when I started doing comedy, even though it was I was 16 years old. But I felt like I came from a modern Orthodox background, and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'm not going to be relate, able to relate to anybody here at all. Yeah. Like, but it turns out, pretty much everybody's the same. Yeah. Like Paul McCartney said. That's true. People all the same. Well, I'll tell you, there is a difference though. Be- like because <laughs> because. The, uh, um, like, for example, a summer audience, they're not that exposed, as exposed to mainstream uh, media as a regular audience. By the way, did that reference fly over your head, the Paul McCartney one? Uh, the, well, I know what Paul McCartney is, but that song. When, uh, yeah. From Ebony and Ivory. Yeah. Well. Okay. Well, I think I just proved your point. Yeah, anyway. exactly. Sorry. Thank you. Okay. So the summer crowd, because they are not so... Uh, you know, comedy has become more and more shocking. So you you have to really take it over the edge. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, a this competition to take it more over the edge. Mm-hmm. But in the Hasidic community, there's still kind of like an I love Lucy. Uh, so sensibility, yeah. So the, it, it's a different uh, it's it's a different kind of crowd. You know, mm-hmm. so things that would work over there and they find really funny and on edge you know a regular audience be like snoring interesting yeah so i guess it's just about finding material that's universally funny um without edge yeah (laughs) 
It's <laughs> it's a tough line to walk. Yeah, it's a walkable line. It's a walkable line. Yeah. Do you find that when you play mostly for Hasidic crowds? Yeah. Um, do you find that the different sects of Hasidim might be less um, uh, into booking you because you're not of their sect? Yeah. Well. You have like let's say that the, the, I'm not going to say which sect, but that there there is a sect. They had me. Uh, they booked me for a big show that was streaming live on the internet. It was for a fundraiser for um, for kids uh, kids with cancer. And the guy told me before the show, he's like, "Hey, listen." I want you to to just be very careful what you say. I don't want any mistakes like the comedian from last year. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> now, he, he looks at me as an outsider. This guy is because, a Hasidic guy that you're doing an impression. Yeah, 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 yeah. He looks at me as an outsider because I'm from a different sect that they look at as more worldly and out there, and they're more um, uh, sheltered. And, right. So I'm like, insular. what? Yeah, insular. That's the word I was looking for. You're just full of good words. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, uh, I have my days. When you have I your can't, days when I can't get any of them. <laughs> I can't access them, and then sometimes I'm like, I knew I knew that word. <laughs> yeah, I lo- in Israel, I lo- they have uh, whenever you get stuck, you're like echomlim, echomlim. Uh, means how do you say? How yeah, you yeah. Say? How you say? How you say? Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so the um, so the I said, what did these guys uh, tell you? Uh, what did the comedian say last year? Last year, and he said, "Well, he he got up there. He said, ladies and gentlemen.' I'm like, yeah. Like, what do you mean, yeah? He said, ladies, it's not it's it's not appropriate for a man to get up and say, ladies, it's it's just not not a modest thing to do. And I'm like, well, <laughs> obviously." <laughs> really? So, do, were you shocked to hear that? I was I was shocked. Yeah. <laughs> I was shocked and I'm like, oh crap, there's I'm not gonna be able to say anything. So you so so this was a situation where you were like the secular person. I was the, they in. looked at me as a secular person. <laughs> and then another guy leans in, a fan of mine, big uh-huh. fan. He's like, by the way, because you're you're looked at as an outsider, you can get away with a lot more because they could blame it on the fact that you just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, while to the, an outsider, they look, you know, if I'm standing with the other guy, they'll be like, oh, look at those two Hasids. Unbelievable. And I totally understand what you're talking about. I did a show once when I wasn't religious uh, in the basement of a restaurant in New York, a, a kosher restaurant called Abigail's on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And my man, my old managers got it for me. And they booked me and an Italian comedian for, I don't know what kind of Hasidim or the diamond cutting ones. All. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a diamond cutting like convention of diamond cutting Hasidim. Yeah. And I went up there and I was, you know, trying to keep it clean for them and do some Jewish references. And they were like not having it. And then this Italian guy goes up there and he's filthy and, and he doesn't know anything Jewish. And they loved it. Yeah. And I was like so upset. And I, and they're like, oh, with you, every little thing that you did that was a little risque, they were offended. Yeah. Someone said, because they expect more from you because you're Jewish. But because he's not Jewish and they expect him not to know, 
They were okay with everything. Yes, exactly. I was like, that's so unfair. It's not fair. It's not fair. My own sect, I have, I, I don't get booked a lot in my own sect because they're afraid that I'm going to be too edgy. And being that I'm, you know, like, they don't, they don't want to take me to this town in in middle of nowhere where the rabbi is basically the model for what a Chabad Hasid is. And then he brings in another, comed- you know, a comedian that yeah. is the second Chabad Hasid that the community sees, and then he goes over the edge. It's just they're too uh, they're too afraid so then of that. You're misrepresenting I'm the misrepresenting brand. Misrepresenting the brand. So, so they, you're off brand in everything. Ah, uh, yeah. It 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 kind of it it in a twisted way it limits me <laughs> in my own community. It's such a rough position to be in yeah. as a comedian. It's yeah. like you go to the secular world. They're like, who is this guy? He belongs at the Hasidim. You go to the Hasidim. They're like, you're not in our sect. We're you're 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 in the other sect. We're we're more, uh, you know, we're we're more stringent than you. Yeah, you're crazy. Then you go to your own sect. They go, you're not exactly what we want to market our sect as. So we want you. So you're really the outsider of of everybody. Of everybody, a comedian in my sect, a Hasidic <laughs> sect, is really its own breed. Sometimes I feel like I'm an outsider in the Jewish world and in the comedy world, but you're even more of an outsider of me. You make me an insider. Uh, you're an insider. I'm an insider. You're an insider, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You know what's really funny? Um, the uh, the show where I was performing for the Diamond Cutting Hasidim, mm-hmm. and I got so mad because I did I mostly clean, but I did, like I said, a few things that were a little risque, and they got mad. They would have seen me, if it was me and you on that show, I would have been treated like the Italian comedian where they would have laughed at everything. Yes. Because they would have said, Mendy should know better. But this guy, Danny, he's like pretty much a secular Jew. And and, and it's okay. He could get away with anything. Yeah. So just because I was the closest to you in that situation. Yeah. I was not tolerated. What you got to do is you got to bring your token Hasid with you. So right. that there's contrast. Or you need to bring me with you. Oh, yes, yes. So then uh, it can work the other way. Yeah, yeah. They go, well, at least he wasn't as bad as Danny. <laughs> yeah. I, I was I was at a uh, Chabad uh, dinner once. Yeah. And Elon Gold's in the back, and he's like, he's crossing things off of his napkin. Elon you know, Gold notes. is a comedian, for those of you who don't know who does, he's Jewish, and he does a lot of Jewish uh, shows. Yeah. Okay. Um, and... Uh, and I'm like, what are you doing, Elon? And he's like, oh, the, the, the rabbi is pretty hard on me. Like, uh, I, I can't do most of this stuff, you know. I'm like, dude, you could do whatever you want. Trust me, you know. You, you, you don't have a beard. You could get away with anything. I mean, you know, to a certain degree. But uh-huh. And he took my advice and he killed. He was amazing, uh-huh. you know. Um. But basically, the beard is um, holding you back in a way. Yeah, it's in a way, it's it's holding me back, and in a way, it's moving you forward. Moving me forward. Ah, so let's talk about that. Yeah. Like, let's let's talk about why you choose to walk this harder path. That's a good question. <laughs> well, first of all, uh, I was raised this way, and it is my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. It's it's what I know. Um, so there is a certain level of, of comfort walking in this path. I'll be honest. A lot of people, they try to say they're idealistic about this, that, and the other. So I think the number one reason is just comfort. Mm-hmm. I was born this way as, um, Lady that, Gaga. that, uh, Shiksa says, you know, 
And um, but uh, I I went by the Grand Rabbi who passed away in 1993. I used to go. Who was known as, as Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, the Lubavitcher, Lubavitcher Rebbe. Rebbe. Yeah, the most famous probably yeah. of all the contemporary Hasidic rabbi. Yeah, he has his picture in more living rooms than anyone else. Yeah. Probably in, in the world. Really? And what about Jesus? Well, okay, fine. He's the the other Jew maybe has more. <laughs> <laughs> He's second. That's, he is second. That's not bad. That's yeah. not bad Jew placement. Yeah, but whatever the case is, Jews are on walls. Uh-huh. You know what's funny? I got this Bernie Sanders uh, uh, action figurine in uh-huh. the mail. I I don't know. I couldn't I couldn't stop myself from ordering it. And I come home and my son hung it on the wall with with a tape. So it looked like a cross. <laughs> and I'm like, he is starting a new religion. This is how Jesus <laughs> went. <laughs> I think Bernie, but it's it's so funny. This uh the Jews on the wall. Uh-huh. What were we talking about? Uh, comfort zone is oh, comfort the number zone. one thing. Yeah, yeah. So comfort zone is the number one thing. So when I used to walk by the Rebbe and used to give out dollars every Sunday mm-hmm. to uh, anyone that came by, they get a blessing, they get a dollar. And the dollar you're supposed to give to charity. So he would give you a dollar so you could give a dollar to someone else. Yeah, because he, he was very into when two people meet, something good should come out of it. And he did he get the dollars through charity? And he got the dollars through charity, yeah. So charity would give him the money so he could give it to you, so you could give it to charity, so they could give it to him. <laughs> he was very into recycling <laughs> back then, before it was cool. <laughs> I, I think it was just uh, to to get people to do a good deed. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, so when two people come together, they should do something good. So you'd give a, a practical thing is, here, take this dollar, give it to charity. Mm-hmm. Now, everyone considered him very holy, and so he touched the dollar. They'd frame it. They I would... went to him and got a dollar when I was a little kid. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you remember the experience? Very little, but my parents took How me. It was you? like a big thing. On It was a Sunday or something, right? Yeah, yeah, Sunday. Yeah, it was, every Sunday. Yeah, I must have been like six years old. Oh, wow. And on, on a Sunday, they, they said, oh, we're going to go to this big rabbi, and he gives out dollars. And I think the plan was to go in the line several times. But, was, <laughs> <laughs> but the line was too big. It's it wasn't worth it. Yeah. yeah. That's how they get you. That's how they get you. That's how it's Jew proof. We brought you know? a bunch of different masks and stuff like, <laughs> you know, like different costume things. <laughs> like we're going to get 20 out of them. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I so, remember we went through and, and he gave us a dollar. Yeah. So everyone saved it. Uh, besides for my brother who used to buy ice cream, mm-hmm. but he's the only he's the only practical guy I knew. Yeah. But besides for my brother, everyone saved their dollar. I, but they I were had, supposed to give it to charity. They're supposed to give it to charity, but they they thought it's you know this is ho- a holy thing. So what they do is, I mean, in theory, what they would do is take it and give a different dollar to charity. Uh-huh. But you don't think that happened so much? I don't think it happened by a lot of people. By me, it didn't happen. Okay. All right. But so, the, the intention was Yeah, good. so when I walked by when I walked by him and I looked in his eyes like I just felt like that is the truth. What what's coming out of his mouth, this man is living the truth. And it's like this feeling that I can't describe. I don't know how anyone that hasn't looked into his eyes could be a believer. How they could not believe if they've looked in his eyes. Yeah. 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 So how many times did you look in his eyes? Many times. You ever stare him down? I try. <laughs> there's, there's so many times where I wanted to like tell him something. Uh-huh. And I'd like, 
And I like rehearse the line in my head over and over and over. And then I get there and I just, uh, uh, and I was a wise guy with a big mouth when I was a kid, but he, I would get frozen up when I went by him. So you were a class clown in Hasidic class. Oh yes. There's a class clown in everything. There's a class clown. I think in Buddhist monks in the monasteries, there's got to be a class clown. Yeah. Maybe his one thing is that everybody's silent and maybe he just like yeah. he makes a fart noise or something. That's his big yeah. <laughs> He breaks the silence for one second. I think in, I, I've thought about this. I think in every class, even in the most serious classes, there's a class clown, even if his humor level is so low. Yeah. By contrast, he's still the class clown. Were you a class clown? I was a class clown too. Ah, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I I used to I used to literally get kicked out every day. Yeah, of class. Really? Yeah, me too. I spent most of my my days in the office or in the hallways. I got sent to the principal's office so many times that I became friends with him, and he showed up at my wedding. <laughs> I promise. Wow, that's a level. <laughs> yeah, that's a level. I had a different kind of principal. I'd I'd go into his office. He's like, oh no, I don't have time. <laughs> he loved it. He'd be like, oh, oh I, I think at a certain point I was getting kicked out just to hang out with him. Oh, no. He'd be my. like, Danny, 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 oh, have a seat. You then we'd a have good, a great you time. You had a good principle. Yeah. You had a good yeah, principle. great guy. We're still friends. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't have that kind of refuge. The hallway was my refuge. Yeah, I once, uh, I remember I once um, thought it'd be very funny to stroke the, my teacher's beard. Uh-huh. That's not a metaphor. Um, I, I, he had a very long beard and he was thinking and I, it just felt like he was so deep in thought that a beard stroke should happen. So uh-huh. I decided I should, if no one's doing it, <laughs> I should be the one <laughs> to do it. You jumped in there. Yes, yeah, so I jumped in there. I'll stroke you. So I stroked his beard and like he just snapped and uh-huh. slapped me across the face. Back in the day, that was legal. Uh-huh. And, and he's like, do you know the Nazis did that during the Holocaust? And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> what, what, what do you mean? And uh, if only it, that's all they yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I don't think they try to stroke. They, they didn't go over to rabbis and try to stroke their beards while they're thinking. It's like how black people don't like if you ask if you could touch their hair. Yeah, because it's, it's a sensitive thing. Well, he thought I was trying to pull his beard. He's like, the Nazis pulled rabbis' beards during the Holocaust. Uh-huh. So. So he he got so pissed off that I did something that a Nazi would do. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, uh, until so, this day, like I never properly explained to him that no, I wasn't trying to pull your beard. I was I was, I was just, just being, giving you a stroke. Yeah, I was a stroke, you, you, not a pull. You were supposed to do it. Yeah, <laughs> you missed your chance. Yeah, I was helping you out. Yeah, you think better with a stroke. <laughs> Where do you think the word stroke of genius came from? How come having a stroke isn't a good thing? That's true. Only if it's a stroke of something. That is true. Of, of genius, a stroke of luck. Yeah. My but father just, just died a from a stroke. It's a stroke because, it, did, he, did yeah. he really? Yeah. I, oh. I love to throw this really sad thing in when you're <laughs> trying to make a <laughs> comedic point. <laughs> 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 it should be called the stroke of death then. Yeah. Yeah. Stroke or, of death. Yeah. But they don't they just leave it. Yeah. If you add anything else to a stroke, it becomes good. But yeah. If you just leave That's it true. a stroke, it's a bad. stroke a stroke sucks. Yeah. A stroke of genius. A stroke of good fortune. Yeah. A stroke of um 
uh, I don't know what else. Bowling has strokes, right? Not strikes. That strikes. One. What's off. the thing that's half a strike? That's not strike. <laughs> no, that's a. Oh no, no wait. A, a half a half a strike. You got a turkey. A turkey is three strikes, but a strike in 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 baseball is bad. This is degenerated into simple oh, wordplay. Yeah, yeah. What's what's happening to us, Danny? A stroke of comedy. Yeah. <laughs> Class clown. Stroke of laughter. Yeah. Stroke of laughter. Um, what? How old were you when your father passed away? I was ten. Wow. Yeah. Was it, were you already a class clown or was that kind of a rebellion after that happened? Oh no, I was a, I was a class clown already. Did, were you close with your dad? Yeah. Yeah. That, that must have been very hard for you. Yeah. It was it was very hard. Um but I still I still um like during Shiva, during the 7 days of mourning, um when visitors would come to the house and they'd come over to me and I'm sitting on like a low chair and they come to comfort me, they're like I'm I'm really really sorry. And I'm like, no. Was it you did it? <laughs> <laughs> you were dealing with it with humor. Yeah. I thought I thought it was the funniest thing that people are saying they're sorry, they're apologizing <laughs> it was for you. his death. I'm like, it was you. And they would look at me like, what is wrong with this special needs child? <laughs> Something snapped, but I, I just consistently did that to everyone that visited. I I was uh I put on this face like I got upset at them after they said they're sorry. Wow. <laughs> so every every sect of everything has its class clown. And that's the cool thing about comedy is is it's a gathering of the class clowns. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but the interesting thing about being a class clown in a religious uh, and and I and I've thought about this a lot having grown up religious too is is that you're basically the reverent irreverent person. You're like if if everybody in comedy is irreverent, compared to them, you're reverent. Yeah. So when you're compared to the reverent, you're irreverent. But when you're compared to the reverently irreverent, then you're reverent. I don't know if I said that right, but I think it makes sense, right? Amen. So when you're am- amongst other comedians, they look at you like a rabbi. Yes, they do. But you're looking at yourself like, hey, I'm I'm the irreverent. I'm one. the oddball, dude. Yeah. <laughs> So, so we, 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 we talked about that it's a comfort thing for you and that you looked in, into the, the Lubavitch Rebbe's eyes and you saw the truth and you, you were speechless. Yeah. And, and, and that's why you, you've kept the faith? Yeah. I was born this way and I've kept it. I think the, whenever I get tempted to stray off, mm-hmm. I think of those eyes. And that's kept me in line. So I, those are the two main things. Wow. Yeah. And what about, do you like the lifestyle? Yeah, lifestyle is. I mean, it it has a lot of perks. Mm-hmm. You know, Chabad is everywhere in the world. Yeah. So anywhere I go, I go to a Chabad house. They're called, and they all pretty much look the same, and I feel at home because mm-hmm. I'm like I'm a part of the tribe. I'm a part of that sect, not only a part of the tribe, but yeah, but a part of that sect. So That's- it's really like part of the family. Right, right. So, you know, you've, so I'll you've got they, a worldwide network. Yeah, they're there for outreach, and they'll accept you know any Jew that comes to the door. They accept with open arms, and when I come in there, it's a different kind of open arms. It's it's kind of like behind the curtain open arms. You know, like well, what's you, that like? And that's you know like real like part of you know like let's say they're inviting their cousins over. I'm yeah. more like a brother. You know. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. 
I mean, I've been I've been the uh, cousin in many of these <laughs> scenarios. I've cousins know, okay, as, cousins as okay. Toured and as I've gone back to Judaism uh, over over the years, I've visited many different Chabad houses. And how's, the how does the cousin feel? What? I like it. Yeah, I like it. I'm a big fan of Chabad. Yeah. Um, you know, some of the stuff you said, I I I I knew, but I wanted to hear you your perspective on it. Right. Like uh, like the name of the Rebbe. Right, because I've visited all these different Chabad houses. Yeah, and so I've, and I've, and I started reading a, a book on the Rebbe. What book? Tulishkin, ah. written written by a guy named Tulishkin. Yeah. So um, I think it's just called Rebbe. Yeah. In fact, I know it's called Rebbe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that I like. Uh, what was it? I think a year or two ago, three books, three major books came out about the Rebbe's life. Uh-huh. For years, no book came out about his life. Well, what do you think brought on the change? Um, well, a year or two after his passing, a book came out about uh-huh. his life, and it was banned. It was banned? It was banned. Why? Because it his a lot of people looked at the Rebbe as the Messiah and and looked at him as way more than just another human being. And, and a book that just goes over the biography of his life they looked at it as disrespectful and and they so they banned it they, so, they were, there was so much uh it was so controversial where do you stand on that do you think that he was the messiah when he was alive and i saw him and i was a kid i really thought he was the messiah i was like you know this is this is the dude and now and now i don't know you know you think he could come back I don't know. I don't know enough to, 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 you know. Messiah is such an interesting. It's concept. such a crazy. You know, there's some like there. There at, at the beginning there was this huge Chabad split in half. There was this huge fight. There were the anti-Messiahs and there was the Messiah people. The, the, uh-huh. the, so the Messiah people said, there, well, within the Messiah crowd, some people said he's still alive. He's just invisible. Oh, that wasn't so, a cloak. So they. Yeah. They look down at the people that went to the cemetery because what's at the cemetery? No one's there. He's not wow. buried there. His Boy, body's not there. So at a certain, do you look at them and say they're crazy? So I no, I I look at them and and psychologically, you know, there's different steps in mourning. They just had a delay in the denial stage. They didn't know how to deal with it with humor. Yeah, they didn't know how to deal with it with humor. Exactly. <laughs> So do, how close are we to a movie on the Rebbe? <laughs> Is that? <laughs> I think I think we're getting I think we're getting close. Yeah, yeah. Who would play him? Could you play him? Oh, would you go up for the role? That's a good question. Would you feel comfortable playing him oh, in a movie? I don't know. Mm. Like, or would you feel like that's too disrespectful? Let's say like the the big producers in Hollywood were like, we need a guy who acts and knows about Lubavitch um, Hasidism. Uh, who do we have? It looks like we only have one choice. <laughs> it's Mendy Pellin. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and then they come to you and they say, we'll give you millions of dollars. We think this could be a huge hit. And you're the guy. I'll do it. You'd do it? Yeah. Because I think uh, I would be too scared for someone else to do it. Because I have uh, this certain relationship and awe towards the Lubavitch Rebbe that I would try to give him as much respect as possible. 
Mm-hmm. While if if they go the other route and get up, what if you someone, felt the script was a little disrespectful and they were unwilling to to budge? Would you still say, you know, it's better that I do this disrespectful script than somebody else? It depends how disrespectful, and it depends how much money. They have the same like technology as Roger Rabbit, where there's like cartoons coming in. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it depends on, you know, in a way, if it if it is a disrespectful script, I would definitely want, want to get someone else to play it, you know. Um, We're doing it like Roger <laughs> Danny's cracking himself up yeah, here sorry. today. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I think this is as good a time as any to get into our philosopher. Okay. The philosopher Alex picked for you is Carl Jung. Have I you... think we could go on for I think we could go on for another 3 hours, oh, by the way. All right. Well, let's go back to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't finish telling you about the different splinters within the Chabad sack. <laughs> we'll have to that, that was a lot of different splinters. We'll have to I mean, I really yeah. feel like you and I could talk for we could for, talk. for a month. Yeah, and, yeah, that's uh, true. And make it entertaining. Yeah. At least for us. <laughs> yeah, it, it is entertaining for us. Just um, We could just talk about the Holocaust. Yeah. Yesterday, I'll just end off with this. Yesterday, I uh, spent the day with a Holocaust survivor. Not the guy that heckled you. Yeah, I hope not. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I really like what you did to Lobel at that yeah, show. Yeah, I hope that guy gets, you know. <laughs> he got his number afterwards. You're like, <laughs> I got his number on his arm. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> yeah. So this... Um, so this Holocaust survivor, um, I went to go film him um, uh, for because what? I got him to act in a music video. <laughs> Don't ask. So anyway. <laughs> I should mention to people that uh, a lot of uh, people are familiar with your work through your music videos. And you do these amazing parody videos on YouTube. Uh, like the the one, Talk Dirty to Me, you did Talk Yiddish to Me. Yeah. And that w- that went viral. Yeah. And you were written up in the Wall Street Journal. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, so you've really broken into the mainstream through YouTube, which is really cool. Yeah. But- YouTube just makes levels the playing field. It's awesome. Um, anyway, sorry. Going back yeah. to the music. Oh, so, no, so the Holocaust survivor, I was um, so God bless me. I forgot uh, to bring a memory card. I, I get all set up. Oh boy. This 90-year-old survivor is sitting there. Uh-huh. He canceled everything for the day <laughs> so that he could spend time in, you know, with this interview. I get set up and I don't have a memory card. So I'm like, is there like a Rite Aid or a CVS <laughs> near here? Yeah. And and he's like, <laughs> Yes, of course there's a Rite Aid near here. Do you want me to <laughs> you want me to drive you? And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, that'd be cool. I guess uh I'd love to get driven by you. <laughs> So you want to spring for the Uber, Mendy? Yes. <laughs> no, forget it. Forget it. Can you imagine you order, you get you order an Uber and a Holocaust survivor pulls up? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised, by the way. I went through Auschwitz, but yeah. I can't stand, I can't this, stand this traffic on the four hundred five. Ah, no, Nick. <laughs> so the uh, so the the Holocaust survivor, uh, he's driving me to to uh right aid and um he starts going and then he's like oi i went the wrong direction and so he just promptly uh makes a really quick u-turn now there's a car coming uh in the other direction not fast uh, you know enough that she slowed down this middle-aged woman and then she starts you know doing some hand gestures and yelling at him and cursing him out and i was like you know, if only she knew 
what this guy has been through. Yeah. You know, then you, there was, there's no way that uh, she'd be cursing the guy out. The guys, he's, the stories he told me are beyond, they're crazy stories of survival. And, uh, and, and the so guys he was probably the, unfazed by it. He was the, the sweetest guy. Oh yeah. He was not, he was, <laughs> he was not phased by that's it at the all. Good, that's the good thing there. Yeah, once the Holocaust happens to you. Road rage is nothing. Nothing, nothing phases <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah. His wife told me he once went with the kids to a water park and he came to the parking lot and they said, oh, sorry, we're full for the day. Uh-huh. And so like just unfazed, he makes a U-turn. And he's very into U-turn, this guy. <laughs> and, and he uh, and he just he just goes in through the exit, <laughs> like it, it, it just you know like it doesn't matter yeah. anymore. Yeah, he didn't flinch. He's like, yeah, whatever. He's already seen the other side of the program. He yeah, gets exactly. It. He, he's like, you know, I don't, you don't play it by the rules anymore. Oh, forget at about this point, it. You know? Yeah, if this guy played by the rules during the this this times he jumped off if, of, of trains, moving vehicles, and saved his life. If I you mean, live he, by the rules, oh, forget about it. He and then the Holocaust happens to you. You definitely say, "To hell with the rules." Yeah, you know, from now on, Screw I make this. the rules. Yeah, I'm not I'm not you know playing this game anymore. Yeah. I would think. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You're like, you know, I'm not trusting society to tell me anymore. Yeah. What what I can and can't do. Exactly. Amazing. All right. So let's talk about let's Carl talk Young. About okay. Uh, what you have in common, Alex says, is Mendy is trying to change the image of Hasidics. So our philosopher dealt with public personas. Or, what do you think he means by you're trying to change the image of Hasidics? I think I know what he means, but what do you think he means? Well, I think that a lot of people don't know personally a, a chassid, and they just look at them as like these wackos, these weird people, you know. But if you get to sit down with one of us and get to know us, you'll see like we each have a personality. We're all just trying to make it. I think what you know, you'll find yeah, is that people are the same. Wherever you go. I'm sorry, I had to bring back that Paul McCartney reference. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> oh, you da lachstreit. Ah, it's actually not a, bad, it's not a bad reference because the song is Ebony and Ivory, which are the colors of Hasidic dress code. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, so it's black and white. Black and white. Black and white. Life simple. <laughs> it could have been a song about Hasidim. <laughs> but by the way, within Hasidim, you know, they, they have like, you know, like it's not just a regular white shirt. There's like, you know, there's top of the line white shirts and different kinds of like, you could get a black coat. I'm telling you, this one's wider. This one is wider than the other one. And you get a black coat that could cost 50 bucks or 700 bucks. And people or, can tell the difference when they look at it? The, 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 between each other, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Between, so yeah, yeah. between each other, yeah, you could tell. But uh, to the outside world, they can't tell the difference. Amazing. Yeah. It's like you have like a secret vision. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You're like, that's a schmata, but that's a nice one. And everybody else, is, they, they're identical. Yeah, this guy must have money. Look at this trimel. <laughs> strimel is? Strimel is that fuzzy hat. Which the fur, Chabad, a fur the hat. fur hat, the Chabad, Chabad doesn't wear it, but Why not? other sects do, uh, because the the previous grand rabbi wore wore one, but the Lubavitcher Rebbe that we spoke about, um, the one whose eyes you looked into, the ones who, who whose eyes I looked into, um, 
when the previous rabbi passed away, he, one of his relatives tried to sell it to the, to the rabbi. And he was like, no, it, it's, it, this, this hat belongs to the Hasidim, the people. It doesn't, and, and whoever is in charge, whoever's the rabbi, you know, puts it on. You can't sell it. It's not yours to sell. So out of principle, he didn't buy it. So therefore. Nobody wears it. So therefore, he, he didn't wear it. And because he didn't wear it, everyone, all the followers wear exactly what he wore. In solidarity. So everyone just, yeah. Yeah. It's like I always run into these like really hardcore John Lennon fans. And they all have the round glass, the yes. John Lennon glasses. Yes. Because they want to they embody some part of him by yeah, how who, he dressed. Who is uh, John Lennon? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he worked with the guy who I was singing the song. For. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so you're trying to change the public perception of Hasidim from being... Um, something weird that you can't connect with to somebody who you're like, oh, we're just like you and uh, get to know us and we're great. Yeah, it's approachable. And you're you know? doing that through comedy. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a nice, it's not my life mission, but it's a, it's a nice thing like I try to do, you know. Mm -hmm. No, it's so. good. It's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to do. Um. <laughs> <laughs> if you're doing something, you might as well do something good. Right, right. <laughs> so Carl Young, his full name was Carl Gustav Young, and he lived from July 26, 1875 to June 6, 1961. Well, I didn't realize he died that recently. Uh, he was a Swiss psychiatrist and psychotherapist who mm -hmm. founded analytical psychology. Mm -hmm. He founded analytical psychology. What, what was the psychology before it was you, analytical? It was, <laughs> it used to be, they just said, they just said shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like anything that came to their head. Yeah. <laughs> and then they were like, you know, we should analyze what the patient says first and then say stuff. I mean, that seems like where it had to go. <laughs> I think they're giving this guy too much credit. <laughs> um, his work has been influential not only in psychiatry, but also in philosophy, anthropology, archaeology, literature, and religious studies. He was a prolific writer, though many of his works were not published until after his death. Oh, that's interesting. Maybe, uh, maybe because uh, people thought he was the Messiah. Maybe, you never know. You never know. <laughs> Probably not. No, I don't think so. <laughs> maybe, maybe they were just behind, like I am, with releasing podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I also have different things filmed that are just <laughs> it's like you not released. Just get yet. it out there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Ed editing's a bitch, you know. You know, if I just keep going the way I am when I die, you know, hopefully I'll be very old. Yeah. Uh, but there'll be a mountain of unpublished stuff. Yeah. Um, all right. Well. Usually I find that things that are unpublished are unpublished for a reason. Not with me. Not with you. <laughs> Yours is just, just, you never got to it. It's too much stuff. Yeah. Too much, it, editing takes forever. I know. Okay. So the central concept of analytical psychology is individuation, the psychological process of integrating the opposites, including the conscious with the unconscious, while still maintaining their relative autonomy, Jung considered individuation to be the central process of human development. 
Jung created some of the best-known psychological concepts, including, including Jungian archetypes, the collective unconscious, and the, uh, psycho- and the psychological complex, as well as extroversion and introversion. He didn't create extroversion and introversion. I think that was just, maybe put a maybe word he to labeled it. it. Yeah, yeah. He, probably, he probably defined it. Before that, no one was an no, ex- yeah, introvert. Yeah, they, they ex- didn't know what was going on. They're like, this guy's just weird. <laughs> After him, some people started keeping things in, and some people yeah. started expressing themselves. Then they had a, they had a right to choose. They were like, <laughs> all right, I'm going to choose to be an extrovert. Oh, man. Before that, everybody was so level. Then Young was, no, 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 everybody was just, you know, very balanced. Very balanced. Very balanced. All right. I'll read you a little bit more about... By the way, there, there is something to that. Once you put a, a label on something, it makes it okay. Yeah. You know, then it, like if it, they used to call this guy crazy because he would, he would keep everything inside and whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and they used crazy for a lot of things. But once you give it a word, oh, he's just an introvert. <sighs> then people choose. It makes it more acceptable. Yeah, so people true. just yeah. choose that way. I think when you put a label on things... It uh, it limits I, them. Yeah, yeah, in a, in a way. But that might be part of the struggle that you have with being a Hasidic comedian. Like the label of being Hasidic might be the thing that you might, as Alex has said, you're fighting against in a way. Right. Because you're saying, don't just label me based on what you think a Hasidic Jew is. Right. Let me show you that I'm also an individual and that I'm also funny, and that I'm also a human being like you are. Right. But as soon as you throw a label on something, people then classify you in that label, and all of a sudden they make assumptions that may have nothing to do with you. Yeah. I mean, like when when you do a show, when when you do like an MC show, where it's all improv and and you mean like when I I host a show? When you host a show, you know, there's no pressure to to really just stand up and be funny. You know, it's, uh, you're there to call up people and then people are not expecting to get that much laughs out of you. So everything you do is a bonus. So it takes the pressure off of you. So I find it, I'm the funniest when I'm hosting like a dinner, uh, an event. I, I've been I've been hired for a lot of like a, or a concert or you know because because just I don't have that label of okay he's doing stand up for the next twenty minutes and oh, sure. you're gonna get nonstop laughter right right yeah now now the fact that you're funny is a surprise to people exactly instead of they feel entitled to the fact that you're funny yeah now it's like oh wow and he's funny and he's funny the and the word yeah. and is key there and he's yeah. funny. Because you were just marketed as a human being. Yeah. And then they're like, wow, this guy's got talent. Yeah. But if you come forward and say, hey, I got talent, they say, prove it. Yeah, exactly. You got talent, let's see it. Yeah, and then the pressure is on. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's another label that... Uh, Interesting? A label, <laughs> extrovert, introvert. Interesting. You know, interesting. <laughs> Extra, extra. I'm telling you, it's just these labels. They they could create, they could change uh, your entire show based on just one label. Sure, you know, you like, know. I find that with this show, people think because it's got the the philosophy thing. Oh, this is going to be heady and um, not humorous, and and then people say, oh, I'm so surprised when I listened to your show that it was funny and. 
so, so did you do that on purpose? You call it uh, a philosopher, uh, modern day philosopher, so that just to just take to the alienate edge off? people, you know. <laughs> <laughs> just to let, to take the pressure off of you. Instead no. of like funny philosophers. No, I, I, I don't know. I just, because I, there's a meaning to modern day philosophers where it's, some people use it synonymously with comedians. And I, I'd heard it many times. And Jackie Mason called George Carlin a modern day philosopher when he died to me. He said he was more than a comedian. Uh-huh. He was a modern day philosopher. So I thought that was significant. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and hey, you can't doing, argue with Jackie. You know, doing a comedy philosophy show. How do you not choose that title at that oh, point? Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. So Young says the persona is your consciously created personality. Okay. It is the idealized version of who you are and who you think you should be based on society's values. Which goes back to the clothing you were talking about. Yeah. Uh, because. <laughs> You're like. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I want to hear why you. you uh, no, because if, if, uh, if you feel like you're expected to dress a certain way. Uh, you will dress th- that way. That's what society expects of you. Right. That's what your external, um, you know, because image. you want to fit into uh, society, the yeah. idealized version of you. You want to be the the guy in society. Yeah. And you if society, and if like, society, and if the whole theme of society, like these days, is to be anti-society then you're part of society by being anti-society. Yeah, I thought that. You know, the fact that I've gone back to, to religious Judaism, and I used to always think of myself as a counterculture guy, that was my persona that I consciously created in my personality. I felt like I'm counterculture. And I, it, then I was like, oh, man, I, this goes against who I am, you know, going, going back to religion. <laughs> then I realized... The whole culture is anti-religious. I'm more counterculture yes. than ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the the U- U.S. is is really going anti-religious. The more they go yeah. anti, the more the I more go you, pro. Yeah, I Let's notice do this. your yarmulke grows. As- yes, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I'm I'm sticking with counterculture. You're, you're, you're shrinking, and your yarmulke is growing, or your yarmulke is looking bigger yeah, because because you're I lost yeah. weight. <laughs> You went up to a a, a B cup up this is, there. This yeah. is people think I'm losing weight from my health. It's just my plan to counter my balding that's going on. If I shrink my head, the hair mass covers more. There you go. <laughs> uh, but but seriously, if if I think if society all became religious, I'd go off it again. Yeah, I I, I really think whatever they do, I'm gonna do. You gotta the do opposite. the opposite. I'm gonna fight them. That's counterculture. Yeah, and that's that's the. A consciously created persona that I have. And you notice that the more um, secular this country is becoming, the more religious they're looking. The hipsters look like Hasidim now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It must feel nice These for them. These a- atheist hipsters, they're like, uh, they're the closest to Hasidim. Like, I, I, there are people in Starbucks that I, like, jump up. You know, just to or go to on. see if you should give them the sandwich a, nod. Yeah, exactly. See if take a sandwich <laughs> nod. Thanks. That's a good. Uh, you coined that. There. Um, to see if there's a yarmulke or not. You know? Yeah. It's like kind of like when when I see a black guy, I give them the same nod. Uh-huh. But but that that nod represents like, um, hey, I'm not 
I'm not one of those racist white, white guys. You know, like I I'm, thought it means I'm hey, we the, share the same neighborhoods in Brooklyn. Yeah, no, I'm one of the, <laughs> I'm one of the good guys. You know what I'm saying? I'm one of the good yeah. white guys that that doesn't think you're about to mug me. So please don't mug me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that that's both uh, racist and not racist. I'm yeah. not sure where to classify that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it's I, both sympathetic to the black struggle and also vaguely racist yes it is vaguely racist <laughs> but i i could do that because i'm married to a black woman so are you well she's yemenite and very dark and like i was walking in brooklyn and a guy walked over to me is like dude you, you got a nice black woman and uh, i'm like thank you and and i said thank you because now i'm allowed to make racy jokes you feel like you got street cred yeah i got street cred <laughs> through Yemen. <laughs> Via Yemen. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yemen is part of Africa. <laughs> she is African-American. That's a stretch, man. It is. <laughs> She's legally African-American. That's Yeah. That, that's one of those parts of Africa that, that aren't really like what you think of when you think of Africa, like Morocco. Right. Or Egypt. That's true. You know. But it is legally. Um. It is necessary for survival, Young continues, but smothers you by the pretending to be individuality. How does he mean that? Pretending to be individuality. I'll read the whole thing yeah, again one more at time, once. One more time. Young says a persona is your consciously created personality. Okay. It is the idealized version of who you think you should be based on society's values. Okay. It is necessary for survival, but smothers you by pretending to be individuality. Yes, that's, ah, that's right. That's just what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. With the clothing, you yeah. think you're being so individual by not dressing like a chassid or or so, or not dressing like someone else, but you're still smothered by you're you're still part of this society's fashion thing. You think you have options? Yeah, you're lying to yourself. Yeah, it's it's like when these companies are saying, you know, you go to a hotel and they're like, only use one towel, the entire stay. To help the nobody uh, does that. They're like, I'll leave that you know to help the environment. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And they're yeah. like, they're like, you know, down with corporate America. Look out for the environment. Only use one towel. Yeah. This corporation says, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and it's yeah. part don't, of the don't machine. Don't put it on me. Yeah, the the machine is telling you to be an individual, and then they're telling you this is what an individual does. Mm. So in other words, you use as many towels as you want for what you're paying. Oh, I use I use everything. <laughs> you're like, you know what? I could have saved money instead in an Airbnb. Yeah. I'm paying top dollar. Every towel gets used here today. One Every for my single- arm, one for my leg, one for my feet. And I'm, I'm covering the entire bathroom floor so that it's not cold at all. <laughs> in fact, you know? I'm calling down for more towels. Yes. <laughs> just in rebellion to your... Oh, and that washcloth, I am just using it just to dry my hands instead of the How about you stop teasing towel. me by putting all these towels here that I'm not supposed to use? Yeah. If you really want to save, you know, you, you only put one towel yeah. and make us request another towel. But you want to give us the illusion that you're generous by putting all these other towels, but then trying to guilt us into not using them. That's bad hospitality. Yes, it's a guilt sign. Yeah, that's, that's like right. putting out a big meal when someone comes over and saying, you know... We don't have a lot of money, and we need to make this food last us all week. I mean, have what you want. Take whatever you want. But please. Yeah, or the the leftovers Just know that if you eat a lot, we're going to be, you know, without food for the rest of the week. The leftovers go to starving kids in Africa. But eat whatever you want. (laughs) 
whatever is not eaten gets flown right away. Great, Great meal. Thanks yeah. for having me. <laughs> whatever you eat is taking away from a kid in Africa. Uh, Young goes on. Yeah. Strong people have a persona closer to who they really are. Oh, wow. Weaker, wow. weaker ones find a role like doctor and play it exactly, letting the world dictate who they are. Wow. Wow. You're saying wow a lot. Why? Let's get into it. Because that just, uh, that just hit me. That just hit me. Go on. It's just, it's just like um, something about it just, just hit me across the face. Like, because it's so true that the, you know, there, there are certain people that are, like you go to Malibu in California, Malibu, California. And I went to the synagogue there and, and half the people look like they're homeless. They're wearing undershirts, they're dressed in their sweatpants, there's holes in their shirt. The rabbi gets up to say his sermon. He can't get through the first sentence b- before the guy says, Rabbi, you don't, want, you don't want the hell are you talking about? It says in, in last week's portion, you know, that mm-hmm. Moses didn't say that. Heckling and the rabbi's the like, rabbi. what do you, does hecklers, they, they feel they could do whatever they want. And I went over to the rabbi. I'm like, wow, you got to you got some some crowd here, and, and you got to you got It's very nice of you. Let the homeless guys in. He's like, dude, these are not. The more homeless they look, the more closer to a billionaire they are. I have a feeling he didn't say dude, but right. He didn't I say mean, dude. I don't know. No, Malibu, no, no, Malibu, this, Malibu might have completely. No, no. This rabbi does say dude. This <laughs> oh, really? rabbi does say dude. Rabbi Kunin, Levi Kunin. So the, so, rabbi, the Malibu rabbi. Yeah, yeah. He's dude. A, he's very cool. Yeah. So he. He uh, he said, "There's there there are literally billionaires sitting in this uh, synagogue right now, and because they they have this mindset that they don't need anybody, they could really be who they are. They could do ex- what they want and who they are, and that's why they dress like that. they dress like they're homeless." <laughs> I've said this to my brother when I when I leave the house wearing like just gym shorts and an undershirt. I was like, I told my brother, I, I put on fancy sunglasses so people think I'm really rich. Because <laughs> if without the sunglasses on, people would think I'm really poor. But only two kinds of people dress like that, as you said, the really rich and the really poor. Yeah. And everybody else is trying to prove something. Yeah. So, th- and, the, when, and there's so many similarities between the really rich and the really yeah. poor. Oh, yeah. There, there are a lot. Yeah. They both, they both decided they don't give a shit about anything. Yeah. You know, they, they, <laughs> you know, forget about it. There's not, there's no, there's nothing to strive for. Yeah. They, they both feel that way. The really poor feel it's hopeless and the really rich feel there's nothing else left. Yeah. I've already achieved it all. Yeah. So I can't achieve it all. I've achieved it all. Same result. Yeah. What, when my wife you, disapproves, you like a bum. <laughs> when my wife strongly disapproves of what I wear, she's, she'll say like, Many, you look extremely wealthy right now. Could you change? <laughs> what, a, what a sweet black lady. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you can't talk like that. <laughs> Racist. Okay. Um, who they really are yeah. manifests later when the persona starts to suffocate them. When the persona is broken down, some experience mental chaos and may attempt to rebuild the persona. The goal is to help the patient develop a better persona that shows who they really are. He's basically saying it's hard to actually just be who you are on the outside and the inside. So 
the, the goal is to try to be as close to who you are as, as possible. possible. Yeah. That's just a good question. So then it's like, who are you really? But you really are just a product of your upbringing. Like you talked about, your comfort zone right. is your upbringing. Uh, and you say, why am I like this? Well, I was raised like this. It's who I am. I was born this way. You were probably not. I mean, it's an argument of whether or not you were born this way or you were raised this way. But who you are is really just everything you've, all the information you've taken in, amalgamated together and processed through your brain um, and and what influences you based on that information. Like the, the things that influence you uh, and appeal to you only appeal to you because it reminds you of something that you learned that appeals to you. Right. So you're like, oh, I really like this thing. You really like that thing because it reminds you of that thing that you really like, which you also really like because somebody says, here's the thing that we like in this family or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so so that's interesting to say. And developing a different but it's persona. In a Hasidic community where everyone dresses the same, all this logic just goes right out the window. I think I'm a perfect, the perfect <laughs> person for the Jungian psychologist to analyze. Because I was raised a certain way, mm-hmm. uh, given an identity, broke away from it for over a decade, completely abandoned or almost completely abandoned it uh, religiously. Uh, I, I, I built so you grew up like a modern Orthodox right. and, then you, and then you're like, and I went, forget I, it, we I'm, don't need I'm this. going full secular here. Right. Everything but bacon, you know? Right. And, uh, and uh, I went for that full, full on. Developed an entirely different persona. Well, not full on if you didn't go for bacon. Right, almost full. Almost full on, yeah. Uh, Developed an entirely different persona, a different uh, identity uh, that I was positive was my identity. Then got it all shook up. And and now here's a third version of me, which is sort of... uh, Similar, more similar to the first version. It's kind of a a 70-30, I'd say. 70 of the first version, 30 of the the second. Yeah. Ah, interesting. Or or maybe even, I would even say it's a 50, 20, 30. It's 50% of the stuff I got before, Mm -hmm. 20% completely new stuff, and 30% of the stuff I developed in those 10 years. Interesting. I don't know if the numbers are exactly accurate, but you get it. I get it. I get it. Because I had to come back to Judaism and find a refreshing new look at it uh, that completely would bring me back to something that I thought was stale and old and nonsense. Right. So I didn't have that first thing the first time. The first time I was just raised into it and so it did felt comfortable. So did you have, like you, you were brought up in a, in, a, in a kind of Jewish environment that turned you off, where like yeah. they, they drive you crazy to get bar mitzvahed and, and you just, after your bar mitzvahed, you're like, get me the hell out of this place. Not exactly. I mean, I liked a lot of it. I really did. Uh, I just, uh, I had a lot of bad experiences. I was kicked out of yeshiva. Okay. Um, my class clowning didn't uh, pay off. So, I, I was so also great. kicked out. You were kicked out yeah. and sent to public school? No, no, no. I, so I went to a different yeshiva. So, yeah. <laughs> and, I, then, and then I got kicked out of that one. I, I went to a different I was yeshiva. In a, I was in like the more serious yeshiva. Then I got mm-hmm. kicked out and sent to yeshiva for reject uh, Jews from the other yeshivas. Yeah. And then I left that and went to public school. Ah. And then I still didn't even give it all up until like I went to Israel for a year on a s- sort of secular program. And I still didn't until I moved to Manhattan. I tried to do it on my own, and I felt like there's nothing here for me. 
what am I holding on to? I'm basically just not going out on Friday nights and Saturdays. I'm I'm not enjoying myself. I can't fully put myself into comedy. I'm I'm not committing to this. So you looked at it more uh, as like a ball and chain yeah. with no not many benefits. So. And I wasn't completely sure what I believed in. Right. And what I was just told to believe in. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what am I is this me or was I just raised this way? Maybe I'm just maybe I'm just a product of somebody else's perception of reality so did you try to did you decide that you're going to go and explore uh to try to find meaning or you just dropped it i did try for a while but i didn't see anything and and everything turned me off meaning somewhere else like in a different religion well well, you could call comedy a religion of, of sorts because that's how how people approach it did you feel you needed to find the answer later on but later but on, for but, a while, but, so I just I, wanted to fit in somewhere. So you just dropped it. it. It wasn't like, okay, this doesn't feel like the truth to me. So I want to find the truth. You weren't a truth seeker. You were just like, okay, this is a pain in the ass. Let me well, drop it. You know, it's funny. Like, I think it's like UCB, like used to have like this saying, like truth in comedy. Yeah. And, uh, and then like, I just remember that being like truth in comedy. Comedy is the truth. Maybe the truth is comedy. And like, maybe I can like just dig deeper and deeper and deeper and I'll break through and be some kind of messianic comic, you know, not like that. I'm <laughs> going to bring the Messiah, but I'll, I'll get the perfect joke. I'll get the perfect <laughs> act, you know? Um, and, and maybe if I just, well, there is truth to that. I mean, comedians are allowed to, to say the truth. Mm-hmm. They're the only ones that have a license to, to say the truth. Although the only ones who have, first of all, there's no else? license. I hate, I, everybody says this and I'm sorry, yeah. but I hate this terminology. The yeah. comedians have a license to, to tell the truth. There's no license. They they get they and and they get a lot less flack. Let's put it that way. Not a so, license. They get a lot less flack because for, they're they taking get away seriously. with. Yeah, they could get away with stuff. But then it's but then you there's less um, stakes in saying that. It's, exactly. It's kind of like sneaking the truth in, and people are like, "Oh, that's kind of funny. I don't know if I really believe." And then they kind of think about it. Right. And they're like, "Oh, maybe that is true." Right. It's a sneaky way to do it's it. A it's not way. a direct way to be yeah. true. So anybody has a license to say the truth. Yeah. There is no license. Oh yeah, yeah, everyone, everyone. That's true. It's just that comedians um, are are more inclined to say what they think or what they believe is the yeah. truth. Yeah. Yes. Because they have a platform uh, through comedy, but yeah. everybody has a platform. They just don't know it, and maybe they don't want it. Yeah, I th- I think comedians, you know, going in line with this philosopher, comedians are closer to their true self than non-comedians because i think so i don't a lot of people look at it as like they're kind of masking their true self with comedy but i think to have that sense um they need to be able to see things in such a real different way uh, on such a on a deeper level uh and a different level than than your than the just the artificial uh you know surface you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I get it. I don't know if I agree with it. I mean, I think it's... You could say I don't agree with it. <laughs> I know. I, I don't yeah. know if I agree with it. Okay. It's something that I've thought about a lot because, I mean, that seems to be something a lot of people like to think or, or do think, but... Well, I, th- I guess it depends which kind of comedian. There's like the depressed kind of comedian, like you and me. But I think it's a lot like what Young is saying. Yeah. That comedians are consciously creating a personality. And 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 they're like, oh, I'm the this guy. I'm the that comedian. I'm right. the this comedian. 
And then, like we talked about labels, when you label somebody as the introvert or the extrovert, or I am the the alcoholic comedian or something, they start to build their self based on their label. Right. Correct. So everybody is, you know, as Mark Marin likes to talk about on his podcast, building their clown. Yeah. Uh, so you're you're building this thing that that is your machine, your vehicle, and all of a sudden you start thinking in line of that thing. So how true to yourself are you? You might not be true to yourself. You're being true to that archetype. You're right. So I don't know. I guess it's hard to make a blanket statement like that. I mean, there are some people who I feel like break through it. And they're, you know, like, I think George Carlin was able to tap into a lot of great stuff and sort of reinvent himself again and again and and dig deeper and deeper. and, uh, And there are some comedians that do that. And I think they're the closest to what you're saying. But I think most comedians just sort of set it and forget it. Right. And I, I don't know if like they I, are. The I, truth I know with me like themselves. Like there's this there's this voice in my head that whatever happens lo- loves to narrate. So if someone's mm-hmm. talking to me, the 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 voice is going, "Yeah, yeah, 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 you just want da, 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 and and reading through the lines and making jokes, cracking up and inside my brain, I'm I'm having a field. I'm entertaining myself mm-hmm. because I'm looking I'm looking past the artificial, um, you know, um, re, uh, interaction uh, interactions of every day, and I'm looking past it into the deeper level, and and that allows that inner brain to have fun with making fun of the artificiality of the everyday life you get Mm -hmm. what i'm saying yeah i get it but uh, but i i think the more depressed a comedian is in real life the more (laughs) true to themselves they are like i think jerry seinfeld is um he is uh he's way too happy to be (laughs) close to himself i don't i don't see him as a happy guy at all you don't look at him as a happy guy no really he looks. Yeah. He seems to me like he's the he's one of the most stable, successful comedians. I think he wants to to look like that. So you think that's a persona? I think that's a persona. Interesting. I mean, I think I think the good thing is that he has a family. Yeah. Um, but I think that he's um, not emotionally there because I think there's like an an inner chaos. You know, you're you're destroying my dreams you know <laughs> you're ruining it like i i'm striving to be as stable as jerry seinfeld yeah and as hardworking as him and you're like basically saying there's a storm under there yeah don't go there mendy <laughs> stay away he's gonna explode one day he's just gonna have the ultimate okay okay i don't know i hope not because yeah. i i really like him but uh, you know, through his work, I really like him, but I, I, I don't think that it's it's as cut and dry as it looks. Right. I could be wrong. I don't know. Um, I have some of Young's work here that I always ask the comedian who I'm interviewing mm. to. I read the first part. That's my my part. But then the pressure's off me, and I ask you to read the second part. Okay. So uh, I, I, again, I, I remember I started English in fourth grade, so my reading <laughs> skills are not that good. <laughs> you could go for it in Yiddish. Do you have a Yiddish? I could read Yiddish. <laughs> uh, so if you will read us this paragraph. The synopsis, this? Uh, yes. Okay. No 
So you can read it line by line to yourself, and I'll cut that dead air out so it looks like you read it smooth. Oh, I see. Okay. And are you going to cut out the part where you say that you're going to cut out the dead no, air? I'm going to leave that. <laughs> <laughs> now I really want to. <laughs> now you want to, huh? Because uh, I got a good laugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No one can flatter himself that he is immune to the spirit of his epoch, which I think means like a significant point in one's life, right. like like where it starts, you <laughs> yeah. know, based on stopping this podcast and, and looking it up. up what that means. <laughs> <laughs> it's the beauty of editing. Or that he possesses a full understanding of it. Each one of us, despite our convictions, is colored by the spirit which goes through the general mass. Freedom stretches only as far as the limits of our consciousness. Right. This is all, you know, this all supports what I was saying before. It's yeah. Just, we're just products of society. We're products of our environment. You think you have freedom. You're just, you're in a bubble. Yeah. Same as you were in a bubble. I, I was in a bubble. Uh, and to an extent, you remain in a bubble. Yes, that's a com by comfortable choice. bubble. Yeah. Uh, everybody else thinks, oh, look, they're in a bubble. Guess what? You're also in a bubble. Yeah. Everybody's in a bubble. Yeah. And it takes somebody like this to burst the bubble. Burst the bubble. Remind people that, anyway, go on. Comedians are on the front line trying to burst bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> the persona, <laughs> the ideal picture of a man is inwardly compensated by weakness. As the individual outwardly plays the strong man, he becomes inwardly weak. That's what I was saying about Seinfeld. Yeah, that's true. That's what I think. The more interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And yeah. I, I don't mean to take a shot at him. I, I yeah, really yeah, admire yeah. Seinfeld. No, but, for sure. But that's just my analysis. I think he's going to stop listening to your podcast. <laughs> Jerry, that. listen, uh, he really respects you, and <laughs> he thinks you're a great guy. I don't think he even knows this podcast and exists. He looks up to you and the money that you make and strives I wouldn't know, to get I would never someday. have become a stand-up comedian if not for Seinfeld, ah. because he was the only example of stand-up comedy I ever knew ah. from the little snippets yeah, from Seinfeld. Yeah, the, the, the beginning and the end. Yeah. yeah that's, what, that's how I learned that stand-up comedy boom, was a boom, thing. Boom, boom, oh, boom. It's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because the inner world is invisible to the extroverted consciousness, and because a man is less capable of conceiving his weakness, the more he hides them. Individuality right. remains so the more you, in the dark. Yeah, the more you hide it, you don't even. It's not even there. Yeah, you can close off things to yourself, and then I think that's also how people uh, don't see God in the world. Yeah. Because they, you can train yourself not to see things about yourself or, or not to see things about the world. Mm -hmm. And the way you perceive reality, and also you could say that's why people do see God in the world, because you perceive reality based on a training of how you perceive it. Yeah. And that's also true about yourself. I wow. mean, I mean, I've gone through an identity crisis more than once now. So, I mean, I, I get it. It's like everything that you, you, every little lie that you've told yourself that this is what you are. Yeah. There's certain times that I, like, I'm, you know, in a relationship, I fight for, like, I want, I, you know, I want it done my way. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, but what do, how do I want it? And what do I really want? Right. You get caught up on fighting to have it done yeah. the way you want it. But, but it might not even be what, the what way I you even want. want. Right. 
<laughs> you just want it. Be, it's, sometimes it becomes more about you want to be respected than this is really what you want. Yeah. You just want the other person to validate the fact that you that you have wants. Yeah. I think you're talking about marriage right now. Yeah, yeah. My, yeah. <laughs> yeah when, I mean, but, like, I think in a marriage, like, if you put your... Foot if, down. If, if, if yeah. you put your needs, sorry, I uh, if you put, yeah, yeah, no, no, <laughs> you're thinking a whole nother way. <laughs> if you put your needs for such a long time second, then you forget what those needs are, and you kind of lose your personality. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like I don't know what I want anymore. That's why you have to fight for your right to you party. You got to fight. Uh, there, well, there's a healthy amount of fighting that's needed in every relationship. Yeah. I think I might have hit you with another reference you don't know. Which is what? You have to fight for your right to party. Oh, yeah. Oh, you you, you got to fight. Okay, good. For your right to, to party. party. Yeah, my brother, he became rebellious in the Hasidic world when he was about 12, 13, and he was really into the Beastie Boys. Yeah, but that's not really rebellious. The Beastie Boys are basically, aren't they all Jews? No, no. Well, no, it was it was shunned to listen to non-Jewish music. Oh, that's true. It oh. is Jewish music. <laughs> it's very Jewish music. <laughs> uh, I think they also went to they I did go to they went to Yeshiva. Yeah, 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 that's what I heard. This Them is these are Jewish Yeshiva and, boys. Uh, David Draymond also from Disturb. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with them. No. No. So your brother, did he? Is he still rebellious against it? He's no longer alive. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. To, yeah, I, you keep hitting me with these every yeah, time yeah, we just, get into like a. You'd still, you're like, oh, there's an opening for some humor. Yeah. Boom! I smack you. And down. my dad is dead. And my brother's, and my brother's dead. dead. Try and make another joke. I dare you. I dare you. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. How did your brother? Uh, he was in. I uh, got into an accident. Uh, in, living in Israel. Uh. Was he back to being religious at that point? Uh, at that point, he it's weird because he became completely secular. He became my brother became completely secular. Then he became uh, extremely religious. He was like he was a, an extreme person. Whatever he did, he did it extreme. Mm-hmm. And then he went. He he went. He did uh, the Jews for Jesus thing for a little bit. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> Wow, he really ran the gamut. Oh, he he uh, he he was a uh, he explored a lot. Then he tried to mix Kabbalah with Jesus. Um, you and don't want to do that because what happens? You get a big explosion <laughs> in the volcano in and, the lab. It's not a yeah. good idea. He 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 went in so many. He was a genius, and he went in so many different directions. He used to have like a cannabis Kabbalah class that he gave, where you smoked up and learned Kabbalah. Um, so he went in all different directions. So I'm, I, a cannabis know. Kabbalah class? Yeah. Uh, Do you think your, your yeah. dad's passing had an effect on him? Oh, for sure. For sure. The, the, he got into a fight with my dad the night before he passed. And he, I think the last thing or one of the last things, he, he told him, he's like, I hope you die. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that, uh, he never, he always felt responsible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was uh, it was tough. Did he, he ever look into the Rebbe's eyes? He he did, but he's the one that always then went and bought a uh, ice cream with his dollar. Yeah, <laughs> I keep thinking of that song. Like, I looked into my Rebbe's eyes. Looked into my <laughs> Rebbe's eyes. My Rebbe's eyes. My Rebbe's eyes. <laughs> boom boom. That boom, could be a good boom. song parody yeah. for you. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> 
All right. And um, however, because the unconscious is projected outwards, not over the surface like the persona, what is inside is stronger. Again, I'll repeat that. However, because the unconscious is projected outward, not over the surface like like the persona, what is inside is stronger. That sounds like Chabad philosophy right there. <laughs> it's, it's all in the tune that you say it in. No, but I think that's what they're saying. They'll, yeah. they'll always be like, the spark of a Jew inside is stronger than, yeah. than, what, than what is outward. Like, for example, like a lot of rabbis that I spoke to said when they have uh, rabbis that do outreach that try to, right. you know. Right, that's what get, I was referring to. Right, they get, they get other, they go out there and try to get other Jews to be more observant. So they say that when, when someone comes into their synagogue and they ask them to do, you know, let's say pray with them or something, and they're like, yeah, okay, all right. Um, chances are they're not, they're probably not going to become religious. And if they do, it's just, it'll just be a little phase or whatever. The people that are, are more like against it, they have a passion, they're passionately against it. Mm-hmm. If, if they're able to flip them, those are the ones that are, that'll be in it for the long haul. Hmm. Um, because they, I, I think outwardly, that their outward self, their outward self is overcompensating for their inner self, which strongly is trying to cleave towards the spark. That's what I was. The yeah, spark. The spark. And and they they give the example of the spark and like the flame. The same way a flame is always goes upwards, no matter what you put the candle sideways, it always goes upwards. It tries to go to its source upwards. The flame is like like God is above and and it's always trying to cleave and the stronger it's trying to go to its source outwardly either you will fight against it and be more of an atheist or you will embrace it but people that just don't care probably won't get that into it they'd have to they need to have that fire they within to, they they got to get more in touch with their their real self, they, they probably forgot they're, they're, it's so buried in there that their outside is not overcompensating anything because their inside is way too far down there that no one even, it, it, no one knows what's going on. The flame's there. not, uh, it's barely lit. Yeah, or, or there's, there's many layers. Or just you know. a spark, not a flame. Yeah, exactly. Or it's like that thing where you're trying to get a spark and you think you saw one, but the lighter's really out of Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Exactly. I'm not a smoker. Yeah. Are you a smoker? Uh, not really. Not I really. Smoke some stuff every now and then. Right. Uh, so it sounds like Jungian philosophy is supports Lubavitch Hasidism. Yeah, I, I think he has. There's there's so much learning. A lot of things from the last few uh, rabbis and mystical teachers. Um, there's there's thousands and thousands of books, and I've learned a lot of them. And and it. It has a lot of what uh, young uh, Carl Jung has to say, um, but it, it it gets more involved in in what is the what is behind um, what is the real thing. So he's saying there is a real thing. Yeah, and the step the 
another step into it deeper. I don't know if you take a step deeper, this, but one step farther into it would yeah. be what is the real thing? What that, is the real and thing? And that's what they're trying to say. This is the real thing. Right. And But there is a big emphasis on becoming real, becoming in tune with yourself. And they're like one of the ways of doing that is not giving in to your bodily urges, uh, you know, being the, basically the master of your domain. Mm-hmm. in many ways and and that helps you become more in touch with your true essence because you're not controlled by outward yes. things you're yeah a lot of people think it's the opposite it's building like, inner strength yeah a lot of people think that oh i'm just going to i'm just going to go with my heart and so therefore you know like if my heart wants to do this that's my true self i'm just I'm just getting more in touch with my true self. Yeah, and the, the heart wants what the heart wants. When re- in reality, it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. The more you're able to control the heart, the mind over the heart, then that's getting deeper to your true self. That's pretty good stuff. Yeah. By the way, this also reminds me of a line I like from a comedian, Natasha Leggero. You, you ever heard? Mm-hmm. You ever heard she she puts on this affectation in her voice like i'm like an aristocrat i'm fan and she's like she says she comes from like uh, i don't know maybe illinois or something where everybody speaks with a midwestern accent and when she comes home and and she's like how are you darling and they're like natasha why do you what are you talking like that for and she's like my parents i want to just tell my parents don't you know who i think i am or something (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly Uh, yeah i i think that 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 quote goes really well with what Carl yeah. Young is saying. Yeah, for sure. You know, you, you, we, anything like the affectations on your voice, even the way people start to walk and the things they identify with and they try to hone in on that identity. Yeah. And 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 also I felt like comedy was so homogenized that it's almost like one comedic brain. Like you, you start to like, and there are outliers within it, but I almost started to feel like everybody's like, think this way, mm-hmm. dress this way be this way this is our opinion as comedians this is this is how comedians think this is how comedians approach work ethic this is how comedians approach the world or uh god or reality this is our opinion as comedians and if you don't fit into that then it's like well what happened to that license to say whatever you want that inv- that license that you were talking about yeah all of a sudden everybody wants to fit in with what a comedian is and i remember like one comedian was saying to me like oh, i didn't want to work on yom kippur and he's like well that's that's not the spirit of a real comedian a real comedian works whenever i'm mm. like who defines the real comedian yeah, real comedian all of a sudden is, like, shouldn't it be defined yeah, yeah, shouldn't be put in the box. And in, in a Hasidic community, growing up and and being the funny guy, it it kind of gave me a license to not to, to like live in color without getting like I, I'm using the definition of Everybody a license was black here. Black and white with the everyone's black and white, and I, and and I could live in color and like oh men, that's Mendy being Mendy. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like I could get away with being I think closer to my unique self. Uh-huh. Um, it seems by, like you kind of struggled with individuality within yeah. another homogenized yes. community. Yes, I did. did. Were you the guy wearing the blue shirt? 
I, I tried, yeah. And then, and then when they're like, they're like, no, you got to wear white. So then I came to school with white and brown buttons. <laughs> and then they had to have a whole meeting if brown buttons are allowed or not. I don't that, know. It depends to... where the brown ink comes from. If it comes from a sea snail that's not kosher, <laughs> then. Yeah, they, and, then, and then with the yarmulke, there was, uh, I came with a really small yarmulke. And they and the and the guy, the head of the school was like, "No, you got to wear a bigger yarmulke." So I came with this huge yarmulke, mm-hmm. and and then they had to have another meeting deciding <laughs> the yarmulke is too big. If it's, yeah, it, like what is so what really is acceptable like to, to mess with them like, oh, in, oh, in yeah. their uniformity of things. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. That's great. That's that's a real comedian. Yeah, yeah. And Again, then and then yeah. they made a rule. <laughs> They made a rule that everyone has to tuck in their shirts. Yeah, so and, you untucked. And so I untucked, mm-hmm. and and then you know I, I did. I, I <laughs> <laughs> again. By the way, yeah. there I go. That's a real comedian. Is this? Yeah. There's no real comedian. There is no real comedian. That's it's true. All, when, it's when, all... when oh this now now you now you're acting like a comedian. <laughs> Carl Jung would say. But you know what? People just, would, people would come over to me mm-hmm. and be and say, "All right, be funny, say something funny." And I mean, they still do that. Mm-hmm. New, tell me a joke, Mendy. And it's like then it's, it's like I'm not like a slot machine. You put in twenty five cents, and mm-hmm. then you really feel like you're in. Then you feel like you're in in this bubble, the comedian bubble, because. No one wants to hear anything serious out of you. They they don't want to hear philosophy. They just want to they want to make a joke. They want to laugh. Mm-hmm. That's another way of rebelling. <laughs> so you, this philosophy, I think, is uh, rebelling. Yeah. Against you know when people ask me, they say, "Oh, you're a comedian. Tell me a joke." You know what I say to them? What? No. No. <laughs> you are so I you know I have so much respect for you. I'll tell you why, because you are so comfortable in your own skin. And being a comedian, I have this pressure with with that comedian label that that I always feel like they're watching what uh, you know. What am I going to say? What am I going to do? Uh, I, I got to be funny. You are so comfortable with yourself with that title. I'm jealous of you. <laughs> I'm, I'm really jealous of you, Danny. Well, you're you're just like yeah, I'm, uh, you are who you are. Yeah. Like you'll meet a fan of the podcast when when you go out some to some uh, remote area to to do stand up. You'll actually spend a day with a fan. Yeah, I I would be like I would have this pressure to perform all day in front of this fan that I I wouldn't be able to do it. Well, you want to know the secret? What's the secret? It doesn't matter. I know. I know. I could tell myself that. Uh, I could tell myself that from it today to tomorrow. It really doesn't matter. But at all. I have this pressure, yeah. you know? It's uh, it's it's just exhausting. If when you're not doing the show, I don't want to be hanging around with a fan. Yeah, it's you know what it is? It's an insecurity um that I used to have it too. And How did you overcome it? Uh, philosophy yeah <laughs> yeah no it's it, it i've talked about it on the show before but i'll tell you again i i had a dinner with mel brooks and carl reiner and uh i told them you know i sort of sometimes feel like i'm an imposter and this and that and and they said it's all it's all bullshit they said it's we're just fooling people there's not is there is not then it clicked with me it, it clicked right there and then i go of course that's what this is that's what everything is <laughs> 
That's true. That's what everything is. That's true. Why wouldn't comedy be that too? Right. And then with that, I was able to really feel comfortable. I was like, oh, there is no magic comedian. There is no, you know, every comedian com- cosmic has a, comedian a from the bad start. show. Every comedian it, has uh, all you. Their all off you are days. is you're either. This is either something that you have a knack on that you build from there, or you don't. And some people work harder, and some people work less hard, and some people have a little more of a starting point, and some people have a little less. But ultimately, it doesn't matter. And and. And another thing helped me out. I once interviewed Larry King, and I told him, sometimes as an interviewer, I get nervous. Like, what if someone says something, a word that I don't understand, uh, and I, and they're ta- or they're talking to me about something I don't get, uh, and I, I get nervous. Like, I want to act like I get it, but, you know, I don't want to look stupid, but what do you do? And he says, oh, you just, you just be honest and say, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Wow! Well, you see, that didn't even that did not even occur to me. <laughs> that was not one of the. I'm, I was as you were talking, I was thinking of different options yeah. of what Larry King's suggestion could be, and that was not one of them. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. People will forgive you as long as you're being honest, right? You know? And that's the truth. That's it. You just be honest with everything in life. This is as funny as I am. Right. I might get funnier, but this is all I got right now. This is what I got. This is all the things I. These are only things I know. Uh, if, if you talk about something I don't know, I'm just going to tell you I don't know. And that's it. There's nothing else to it. That's awesome. You're never going to get that, caught in anything. That's simple words of wisdom <laughs> from Danny Lobel. <laughs> All right. Let's close out with the quotes. All right. So here's the, the first quote. Is First quote. Resistance to the masses can be affected only by the man who is as well organized in his individuality as the mass itself. Great. I love it. Resistance to the masses can be affected. Think about the masses of society. Only by the man who is well organized in his individuality as the mass itself. Got That's it. your Rebbe right it. there. That there you looked go. into the eyes. Yeah. Here's a man who was so organized in his individuality that he could stand up to, to the masses of society. Yeah. He, he, in other words, he, he really knows what's up with himself. You have to really get you. Yeah, you really got to get you. Otherwise, society will grab onto you and say, you're this. Yes. If you don't know you, then you can be sucked into whatever they want to tell you you are. Yeah. But if you really get... Like you were talking about comfortable in your skin. You really get comfortable with Mendy. Nobody's going to tell Mendy what Mendy is but Mendy. And that's the thing. I got to work on that. Yeah, thing. that's the thing of it. Once you really get, get comfortable, like this is who I am. This is, this is why I am the way I am. And this is how I feel about things. How long did it take you to, to get comfortable? I'm 89% there. <laughs> yeah, 89 But how long? How many years as a stand-up comedian did it take you? Better question is how many years in therapy? Um, therapy. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think um, I think it's a combination of of being an artist, being in therapy, and being in religion. Right. Uh, no, but that, that's that's what caused it. But how long? Like how long? No, I think it's all those things yeah. together. Oh, okay. I'd have to time it from when I started therapy, and as a religious person and a comedian. Oh wow, a quote unquote religious. I never like the word religious, but right. a, a religious person. And and uh, how long are you doing comedy for? 
15 years? 15 about? years. Yeah. Doing stand-up for 15 yeah. years. I started and that, and even then, earlier than that, but I, I made it a thing 15 years ago. Wow. Respect. <laughs> I, I, started, I started doing stand-up, I think, about four or five years ago. Oh, you're nearly caught I'm, up. Uh, yeah, I'm <laughs> nearly caught up. The very first show that I did was in front of a Hasidic crowd mm-hmm. of a thousand people. And it was only me. I was the headliner, and there was no one else. There was a there was wow, a, a guy that was <laughs> thrown a, into that right away. Yeah, I was thrown into the deep end. Yeah, and there was this guy that has never organized a show before. Yeah, and uh, a Sommer guy. He's like, I really think that you could really make us a lot of money. <laughs> I'm gonna be your manager. So. So I, I, I'm like, okay, uh, you know, I, I don't have that much to lose. Uh-huh. <laughs> so this guy marketed the hell out of the show uh-huh. and he, he put up billboards and, you know, in, in Brooklyn and signs on street poles and everything. Uh-huh. Uh, I, you know, I wasn't that involved in the marketing, but when I came to New York to do the show, I saw these huge signs that said two hours of nonstop laughter. <laughs> <laughs> Your first show. Yeah. Yeah. And a big picture of me. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. Wow, that's so great. And that, oh my gosh, I got so (laughs) freaking nervous. That's amazing. Yeah. I got so nervous. Uh, Oh my, wow. So I I actually did three hours because I, uh, you know, I was a rookie. Yeah, and I I oh, way, way over prepared, and I was like overcompensating, and this guy never organized it, so he kept on behind stage. He's like, "Keep going, keep going, give them feeling, their money's I worth." Feel like it was two minutes of solid laughter spread over three hours. Yes, 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 probably <laughs> three hours. Wow, I looked at my watch and it's past midnight. Good for you for the stamina. I can't believe you. You really, yeah. wow. And uh, that was uh, that. <laughs> That's that was crazy like, right show. before I went onto that uh, onto the stage. The guy comes over to me. He's like, "Mandy, I'm telling you, <laughs> look at me, look at my eyes, look at my eyes. You're gonna bomb. You're gonna bomb so much." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh no, this can't be a good sign." And he knows how you get when you look in yeah. people's eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I looked into his eyes and I knew he didn't mean it. And he thought bomb was a good, a good <laughs> sign. Th- yeah, that's what he thought. Yeah, yeah. He thought it was like a compliment. You're going to bomb. Like he thought you're an explosion. Yeah, yeah. He thought you're the bomb. He thought he's, he's giving me a good pep talk. This is a great story. Yeah. That's so funny. That's so funny. Is the guy still available to manage me? I mean, the, it sounds like he's pretty good. The guy lost some money after. Uh, he, uh, he actually made a few other shows after that with me. He's out of the business and now? And it was too much work, and he's out of He's on uh, back on, back into diamonds again. They always go back to the diamonds. Yeah. Because yeah. the diamonds are forever. Di- oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll, tell anyway. you, I'll tell you the other trick to, to comedy. The only thing that matters, from what I understand of it, is the moment it's all about the now it's very like zen you know yeah comedy doesn't have a shelf life for the most part like people don't really listen to too many old comedy albums 
There are a few that kind of hold up, but there are thousands that don't. So it's all so, about like what is happening right now. It's about the moment you have with the audience. That's the only thing about comedy that is the truth. Remember what we were talking about yeah. the, the truth of yeah. comedy? Yeah. The truth of comedy is just that, and it makes sense that UCB, would, which is an improv um, school, would use truth in comedy because the truth in comedy that I found mm -hmm. is that it's only important in the moment that you're doing it and you're bringing people happiness and making them laugh. That's it. Everything else is ego. Everything else is, is you know, who am I because I'm a comedian and who, how should you treat me? Right. And what what prestigious logos do you associate when you see my name? The the logo of NBC or of the Tonight Show or right. or something else. But at its true essence, at the core of what comedy really is, is just the interaction you have with an audience transferring happiness. Yeah. That's it. There there that I think that gives me the great the greatest feeling when you're in the room and you just feel one with the crowd, you know? That's you're just it. You're just like, everything else is a song. That's the and, true comedian. Yeah. And, and there shows that just, the, like, there's this switch inside of me when I'm having a really good show that turns on and it just be, goes on autopilot. It's not me anymore. Yeah. And, and, and I'm just one with the audience. Yeah. And, and we go on this ride and it's an amazing feeling and that makes it all worth it. Yeah, that's it. That's the only thing that makes it worth it. Yeah. All right, the next quote is, when an inner situation is not made conscious, it appears outside as fate. When an inner situation is not made conscious, it appears... Ah, interesting. See, that's a, that's a, a kind of... A, a, a trying to explain um, what some people call the God effect. You know, like what some people will call uh, uh -huh. destiny and 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 God's hand. It's uh, correct me if if you, that, that's what I think. He's yeah, saying. I think what he's saying is is basically what you think is God. You know, making you able to do something, um, giving you that extra something is really that's kind of an atheist perspective. Yeah, on this it. is an atheist actually, line, but you can actually look at it in both ways. I think any atheist line. Also, it could be a, a a believer line. So too. give give it to me. The other thing of it is is saying there are things going on inside of you, right? Yeah. Well, let's look at the line first. Okay. There are things going on inside of you, and if you're not conscious of them, when they manifest themselves in in the world around you, you think it's fate, and and it all clicks together, or or God. But it could also just be that there are things going on inside of you that are God. Yeah, and then when when oh, it happens, you know, interesting. So this this, in a way, knowing this gives you even more, more context, freedom of choice. The whole idea of freedom of choice is God giving you the illusion that uh, it could be the, something that is has nothing to do with right. him. So it gives you the choice to believe that it's him or not. Right. So when you uh, have the consciousness that that hey, is this really my um, consciousness that I'm not in touch with that is causing this, or is this 
godly, that, and then you choose godly, that makes you even more of a believer. Right. Then you interpret it in a godly way. You, yeah. can, you can see things as God. You can see things as arbitrary or fate. Yeah. Uh, what's going on inside you can be the, you know, can affect the lens in which you see the world. Yeah. I don't know. That's how I see it. Yeah. Let me just take a shot of vodka because we're having what's <laughs> called a, a Fabrangan. A Fabrangan is um, in, in, a, in Chabad, in our sect, every Thursday night, there's something called a Fabrangan, which is kind of like a support group uh-huh. where, where we, we get together in groups and there's lots of alcohol. Oh, it's the opposite of AA. Yes, it's the opposite <laughs> of AA. Where, it's a where they, group with alcohol. they encourage you, and if you don't drink, they're like yell at you, like, come on, no, make a lachayim, have a drink. <laughs> and the idea is to try to uh, go beneath the external, and alcohol will get rid of all the bullshit or get rid of a lot of the bullshit so that we can uh, work on making ourselves better people, uh, our essence better, without having... like people say, oh, you're more honest when you drink. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Let's get honest here. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So the the, the idea is to get, get, have some l'chaim so that we're more honest, so that we can both, with love, attack each other if need be... (laughs) Uh, yell at each other. My sect is a truth sect. Yeah. I like that brother. I like that brother. Yeah, but aren't they just the same if you look at it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's it's People really all the same. Sorry. So like if if you say something like at a Fabrang and like I've been slapped before many times. What? Yeah, because there's alcohol, and then I'll say some. I'll give like a funny, you know, something or whatever, a remark or whatever, and then they're like, it's a love slap. You know, of like, no, 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 Mandy, stop, stop that, stop that. What do you, what do you really think? You know, like they, they try to get, you deep know, with you. deep, they try to get deep. And, and whenever you, you, someone starts talking bullshit, they, they try to snap it out of you. Or throw throw some potato salad at so you or something. Drinking, there's, there's drinking, fighting. There's, Are you sure this isn't an Irish event? <laughs> <laughs> it's very similar. So so uh, so this feels like a far brain because we're sitting down and we're getting to know our inner self better. Yeah. And so as part of a far brain, we always stop. We say l'chaim. l'chaim. All right. Well, let me grab some alcohol. Okay. And uh, while Danny's getting the alcohol, another part of the thing is while we're trying to connect, it says that music and song connects directly to the deepest part of the soul. So in between talking and drinking during this gathering, we sing different songs that were composed by the, the great sages. So let me, let me sing a song while Danny is, uh, is getting the... The alcohol. We have two options. We have some great Scottish um, Talisker whiskey. Okay. Or we have some terrific Iraq. 
Well, if we want to get, if we want to stay as authentic as possible, we're going to, we'll go with the white Product stuff. Israel. Then we go with the Iraq. Because being that our sect is from Russia, um, the, the vodka is what was the, is the choice of By the way, this is drink. Iraq. Is Iraq. Mabruka. If you're looking for a good Iraq. Mabruka. If you don't know what Iraq is, it's like a licorice. It's like a licorice. I love licorice. It's a licorice flavored alcohol. Yeah. Uh, I love I love these glasses, these shot glasses. L'chaim, L'chaim, Danny. You should, and, and, and when you say L'chaim, you try to give a blessing that goes beyond the bullshit. So I'm giving you a blessing uh-huh. that you should always be in touch with your true self consciously. Um, and you should, and your true self should be accepted by the, your loved ones, should make you a lot of money, should get you, uh, it should keep you as healthy, very healthy, and you and your lovely wife should always work as an amazing team, as, as a single unit, and you should have many children that drive you nice crazy. <laughs> But you just love them as much as you love your turtle. My tortoise? Your tortoise. Well, I'd rather go with my little dog. Your the little dog. And I have a tumultuous Oh, you guys. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, but but, <laughs> but seriously, I'm Danny, you. you're, you're an awesome dude. And you, you, spread, you spread so much so much joy to so many people. And that joy should come ten, tenfold back to wow, you. Wow, that's awesome. And, and I'll give you a blessing. You should feel comfortable in your skin. Amen. And uh, get to know the true Mendy. Yeah. And then let everybody else know the true Mendy, because I, I love the true Mendy. Thanks. True Mendy forever. <laughs> <laughs> love you, man. And L'chaim. everything you said. And everything you said. L'chaim. Thank L'chaim. you. That's good, Iraq. Oh, that is good. It's with Anis. Mabruka. It's so good. That is really good. Yeah. Best of rock on the market. Now, what people don't know is that this is really a show to sell a rock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like every African-American podcast is is selling Chirac vodka. Is it? I don't know. It seems like a lot of rap songs have like. I never heard of Chirac. It's like Chirac. Is it Chirac? C-I-R. I don't know. All right. Anyway, the third uh, quote here is the meeting of two personalities is like the contact of two chemical substances. If there is any reaction, both are transformed. Nice. Wow. wow. That's awesome. That is a way to see. I I really feel like I've grown through this podcast, through, through just sitting. Really? Here. Yeah. Wow. Cool. And 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 that is exactly what we're talking about. The dollar that that I, we spoke about that the Rebbe, the Lubavitch Rebbe gave a dollar because he said whenever two people meet, uh, something good should come out for a third. Wow, that's great. And um, I love that. And I and I think that. And you know what? When your brother bought the ice cream, yeah, that shopkeeper was the third. Yeah. So he was still honoring. What that's to true. Do with the dollar. That is true. I don't want to tell you this. It might make yeah. you jealous, but yeah. the, the Rebbe gave me a dollar fifty. Yeah, 
You, by the way, that'll give you more street cred. If you if you go to Brooklyn and say, I got $2 for the Rebbe, wear a t-shirt like that. And then you'll get respect. They're like, brother. He said, $1.50. Don't tell anyone, right? You're my favorite. By the way, to the high rollers, he had another thing he gave out after he made a blessing on a cup of wine. People would line up and they'd get a little a little bit in their cup to make a lachaim really? and drink. And and like to the VIPs, he'd give a bottle, their own bottle of vodka. Wow. Like, and if someone got a bottle of vodka, like that is that is street cred. You Does know? this mean anything? I just remembered this from my meeting with him. What? When I walked up to him, yeah, he looked me on the in the eyes and he said, "You're the one." He did that to every <laughs> every comedian. That's and, what he did. And then I said, "The Messiah," and then he he said, gave a little wink, a little wink, a little nod, and a wink, and he says. Go, go with it. Go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Danny, Danny. <laughs> Mendy, it's great having you here. Thanks so much for doing the podcast. Great coming here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Thank you, Mendy Pellin. And please, uh, if you haven't done so already, or even if you have, even if you do it every damn day, please make a donation to the show because that's how this show is currently being fueled it is moving on donations it is listener supported we are supported by the kindness of listeners like you go to moderndayphilosophers.net and click the donate button and please be generous because I gotta live man I got bills, I gotta eat and it takes a hell of a long time to put together a quality podcast if you don't have money You can always go on iTunes and leave a nice comment and five stars, and that goes a long way as well. Reach me by email anytime at thecomical at yahoo.com, and if I do not reply to you, it's because I didn't see it for some reason, and I do reply to everything I see. So if you feel like, hey, why didn't he reply to me, send it again. It's happened once or twice that people have said, hey, I never heard back from you. It doesn't happen often, but when it does, I always feel bad, so please... Make sure that I see it. And uh, if you don't hear back, give it a week. Resend it. I am looking forward to hearing from you. I like replying to you. I like talking with people. I like hearing what you think of the show. And with that said, I wish you guys a great week or uh, however many weeks it is uh, until you choose to download or listen to another episode of Modern Day Philosophers. With me, your host, Daniel Lobel. Goodbye, everybody. So long. Be well. And again, happy Sukkot.